for the September 13th, 2022 meeting of the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission. Madam Secretary, would you call the roll? President Moran? Here. Vice President Jami will, will be arriving in the meeting a little bit late today. Commissioner Maxwell? Here. Commissioner Paulson? Here. You have a quorum? This meeting is being held in person at San Francisco City Hall, room 400, as authorized by the California Government Code section 54953E and Mayor Breed's 45th supplement to her February 25th, 2020 emergency proclamation. I would like to remind all individuals present and attending the meeting in person today that all health and safety protocols and building rules must be adhered to at all times. Hand sanitizer stations are available throughout the building and masks are available upon request. We welcome the public's participation during public comment periods. For each item, the commission will take two minutes of public comment, first from those attending the meeting in person and then from those attending the meeting remotely. Members of the public may provide remote public comment by dialing 1-415-655-0001, meeting ID 2495-057-6064 pound pound, and pressing star three to raise your hand to speak. Please note that you must limit your comments to the topic of the agenda item being discussed unless you are speaking under general public comment and remind you if you do not stay on the topic, the chair can interrupt and ask you to limit your comment to the agenda item. We ask that public comment be made in a civil and respectful manner and that you address your remarks to the commission as a whole, not to individual commissioners or staff. On behalf of the commission, I would like to extend our thanks to SFGTV staff and SFPUC IT staff for their assistance during this meeting. If you've not already done so, please silence your electronic devices. Thank you. And before calling the first item, I'd like to announce that the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission acknowledges that it owns and are stewards of the unceded lands located within the ethno-historic territory of the Moekma Ohlone tribe and other familial descendants of the historic federally recognized Mission San Jose Verona Band of Alameda County. The SFPUC also recognizes that every citizen residing within the Greater Bay Area has and continues to benefit from the use and occupation of the Mawekma Ohlone tribe's aboriginal lands. Since before and after the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission's founding in 1932, it is vitally important that we not only recognize the history of the tribal lands on which we reside, but also we acknowledge and honor the fact that the Mawekma Ohlone tribe uh, have established a working partnership with the SFPUC and are productive and flourishing members within the many greater San Francisco Bay Area communities today. Um, Madam Secretary, would you please call the first item? First item is item three, adopt renewed findings under state urgency legislation to allow hybrid in-person meetings during the COVID-19 emergency and direct the commission secretary to agendize a similar resolution at a commission meeting within the next 30 days. Thank you, and will you please open public comment? Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item three, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Are there any members of the public present who wish to provide comment on this item? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do you have any speakers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there is one caller in the queue. And caller, this is for item number three. Hello, caller, I've opened your line. Do you wish to provide a comment to item number three? No response, Madam Secretary, there are no more callers in the queue. Thank you, public comment on item three is closed. 
Thank you. Commissioners, any comment or question? Seeing none, may I have a motion and a second, please? Moved. Second. Moved and seconded. Roll call. President Moran? Aye. Commissioner Maxwell? Aye. Commissioner Paulson? Aye. You have three ayes. And the item passes. Uh, next item is the minutes of uh, the meeting of August 23rd. Commissioners, any additions or corrections? I have two comments. Uh, one is a correction uh, on the my summary comments during the design drought discussion. Uh, what was recorded was I said that the design drought was not determinative. What I actually said was that the uh, return period was not determinative, and the secretary has made that change. I'd also like to just point out that uh, we had encouraged people to submit public comments uh, by email, and a lot of people did. Uh, I appreciate that. Those uh, comments have been included with the minutes and have been distributed to the commission. So without, let's see, could you open public comment? Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of public comment, two minutes of remote public comment on item number four, approval of the minutes, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do you have any members of the public present who wish to provide comment on this item? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do you have any callers with their hands raised for item number four? Madam Secretary, there is one user in the queue. Hello, caller, I've opened your line. You have two minutes to comment on item number four. Great, not just a user, a water user, David Pilfelt. Um, wasn't planning to speak, but just one item that I saw very quickly at the top of page six, where it says comment. I think that should read public comment. That's all. Um, that's all I have on this item. Thanks very much. Thank you for your comments. Madam Secretary, there are no more callers in the queue. Thank you. Public comment on item four is closed. And with the minutes as adjusted, uh, may I have a motion and a second? Second. Moved and seconded. Roll call, please. Commissioner Moran, or President Moran? Aye. Commissioner Maxwell? Aye. Commissioner Paulson? Aye. And you have three ayes. And the minutes are adopted. Uh, next item, please. Next item is item number five, general public comment. Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of general public comment on matters that are within the jurisdictions, commission's jurisdiction and not, are not on today's agenda, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do we have any members of the public present who wish to provide general public comment? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do you have any callers? Madam Secretary, there are 10, nope, 11 callers in the queue. Thank you. Hello, caller, I've opened your line. You have two minutes. Eileen Boken, this time speaking on behalf of the Coalition for San Francisco Neighborhoods. At the State Lands Commission meeting on August 23rd, the Coalition submitted both written comments and spoke during general public comment. The State Lands Commission has three members, State Controller Betty Yee, who grew up in the Parkside neighborhood of San Francisco and is the current chair of the SLC, the Lieutenant Governor, who lives in San Francisco, and the director of the State Department of Finance. The following are excerpts from uh, the CSFN comments and testimony. And I quote, 
uh, on the uh, at the uh, June 23rd meeting of the SLC, I commented on the concepts of desal and an ocean water pump station for San Francisco's dedicated emergency firefighting water system. In a recent multi-agency report titled California's Water Supply Strategy, Adapting for a Hotter, Drier Future, desal is referred to multiple times. Since desal typically has a large footprint and is energy intensive, a possible demonstration project off San Francisco's Ocean Beach would involve an offshore desal technology which uses wave action instead of electricity. Our recent study by ACON, commissioned by the SFPUC, alleges that the permitting process for an ocean water pump station would take between 10 and 20 years. The CSFN urges the SLC to confirm the accuracy of this time frame. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Next caller, I've opened your line. You have two minutes. Thank you. My name is Bill Martin. I am the Sierra Club representative for the Bay, Bay Area Water Stewards. I'm also a San Francisco resident and a customer of the SFPUC. I attended the August 23rd hearing on the design drought, but I didn't make a public comment in deference to Commissioner Moran's request. At that hearing, Commissioner Moran made the point that this is an ongoing dialogue. While I appreciate the sentiments behind that statement, ongoing dialogue fails to address the key issue, conditions in the lower Tuolumne River. Steve Ritchie made the point that the consequences of running out of water are enormous, and it is this enormity that is behind the adoption of the current design. Please note, there's, this is nothing scientific about this. It is an arbitrary selection of two historic droughts cobbled together to create a design drought. Contrast this with the numerous scientific studies showing how reduced flows in California rivers, including the Tuolumne, have reduced available fish and wildlife habitat. These studies further show that existing habitat is sufficient for enhancing fish and wildlife populations if only sufficient water flows were available. The design drought essentially ignores the best available science. It has no scientific basis of its own and stands in the way of following the best science we do have. The, the design drought further ignores the trends in demand. SFPU staff, SFPUC staff have continually ignored the falling demand of the last two decades. Not once has SFPUC water supply staff even come close to forecasting future demand. All of their past forecasts have been much higher than what happened. It's well past time for a complete re-examination of the design drought as an operational tool. Thank you very much. Thank you for your comments. Next caller, I've opened your line. You have two minutes. Hi, this is Judy Irving. I'm a San Francisco resident, and I've been swimming in the bay since 1984. Uh, I heard about floaters in years past, uh, turds <laughs> floating in the bay. Back in 1932, when the SFPUC was first established and before you had sewage treatment plants, we did have problems with floaters. Well, now we don't. But the two sewage treatment plants in San Francisco 
which we do have now, release far too much nitrogen and phosphorus into San Francisco Bay. Those are the menu items that algae blooms love. The combination of too many pollutants being released from partially treated sewage and warmer water and lots of sunlight produced this horrible algae bloom that I happened to swim in before I had read the news about it. It's not fun. The water was brownish yellow, not grayish green like it usually is. It felt bad on my skin. It felt itchy. I really had to scrub down to get rid of it. But if you remove these pollutants before they go to the bay, if you invested heavily in water, wastewater recycling, like many other cities have already done, which don't have green reputations, you could reduce the risk of more algae blooms. You could help San Francisco reduce its overall water use. And dare I say, we could take less water from the Tuolumne River. In 10 years, let's have a healthy river and let's have a healthy bay. You decide. Thank you very much. Thank you for your comments. Next caller, I've opened your line. You have two minutes. Hello, I'm Virginia Van Karen. I'm a lifetime resident of the Bay Area and I use Tuolumne River water through the Palo Alto Utilities. I appreciate the pristine water I'm able to use and I also want there to be enough to keep the river healthy. I'm 74 and over my lifetime, I've gone from overusing this precious resource to carefully conserving it. Peter Dreckmeyer, Policy Director of Tuolumne River Trust, said it best in a recent article in Estuary News, and the same is true for the people of Palo Alto. People in San Francisco conserve water during drought, thinking they're helping the environment, but they aren't because the water's just staying in the reservoir. It's no longer acceptable to use the most conservative estimates on water usage and drought to justify the hoarding the water and you don't need to. Steve Ritchie justifies hoarding water by saying that a wet year adds more to storage when in fact San Francisco was forced to dump water in a wet year because the reservoirs are already so full. So instead of benefiting the river consistently for years, there was one good year followed by many very low flow years. <clears throat> Tuolumne River Trust cares about the river and the people and the wildlife who depend upon it. They spent time researching a solution that works for all. Just by making the designed route a 7.5 year event would allow the PUC to release enough additional water from their reservoir to meet the 40% unimpaired flow provision of the Bay Delta Water Quality Control Plan while causing no impact to San Francisco or Palo Alto. It would be more. Thank you for your comments. I'm sorry your time has expired. Next caller, your line is open. You have two minutes. Yes, um, my name is Jeff Brown. I live on the San Francisco Peninsula within your, just the jurisdiction. 
I want to comment on the August 23rd design drought workshop. Um, I, I am very troubled by two things. One is the singular focus by seemingly everyone, but particularly the F SFPUC, on storage as a means for dealing with a means for dealing with drought. The other is the fact that the uh, SFPUC has not responded uh, to repeated requests by the NGOs. Um, who are acting in good faith and are asking for modeling based on assumptions other than the, the design drought as it stands now. And I want to point out, as a matter of background, I spent 37 years as a research engineer at NASA Ames Research Center, and the last seven years as the principal engineer for performing hazards analyses on our most energetic and therefore uh, dangerous facilities, test facilities. And Steve Ritchie, and in and, and dealing with hazards analyses, you look at how to reduce the risk of various hazards that could arise. Um, and I think there's the Steve Ritchie in the August 23rd uh, meeting contended that the likelihood of the design drought as presented by the NGOs and the benefit of climate change as presented are not predictive tools. And I agree with that. But customer demand is not only predictive, it's controllable. And in hazard uh, risk uh, reduction, the concept of control versus mitigation is crucial. Thank you for your comments. I'm sorry, your time has expired. Madam Secretary and Commissioners, there are nine additional callers in the queue. Hello, caller, I've opened your line. You have two minutes. Yes, hello. My name is Carol Bruce from Stanford, California. If the 8.5-year design draft is adopted as proposed, it's time to write a eulogy for the Tuolumne River and the the uh, creatures and ecosystems that depend on its cool, deep waters. According to the California Department of Fish and Wildlife, Chinook numbers have plummeted since the 50s, when the Tuolumne River saw an average return of 25,000 fall-run Chinook. By the 70s, counts were down to less than 2,000 fish. In the past 15 years, fewer than 1,000 Chinook have returned upriver most seasons. And last year, scientists counted 186 Chinook in the Tuolumne River. Is it wise to stockpile the water flow of an essential river for the design drought insurance policy to protect us against a one in 70,000 year drought? The extremely conservative parameters of the eight and a half year design drought will not bode well for today's handful of remaining Chinook salmon. Are we willing to sacrifice them for this overly conservative approach? How many Californians continue, how can we continue to thrive when we are destroying the very ecosystems that have sustained us? I urge you to shorten the design drought by a minimum of one year and to make it a priority to preserve the Tuolumne River ecosystem for California's generations to come 
as well as for the creatures that thrive in their waters. Thank you very much. Thank you for your comments. Next caller, your line is open. You have two minutes. Hello, uh, my name is Stephen Rosenblum, and I'm a resident of Palo Alto and an SFPUC end user. As a citizen concerned with the environment, I've responded to requests to curtail my water use, installing low-flow toilets and faucets, drip irrigation, and natural plant landscaping to replace lawns. I've done this in order to save water as well as to protect the environment. I've listened to the SFPUC workshops regarding the voluntary agreements and heard its opposition to maintaining minimum flows on the Tuolumne and have understood for myself that for salmon and habitat, there is no substitute for year-round flows of cold water. The State Water Resources Control Board uh, has mandated suitable minimum flows on the river using expert scientific evidence to draw its conclusion. The SFPUC, on the other hand, has ignored science and public input and persisted in its assumption of higher than expected historic demand and a never seen design drought of eight and a half years to justify its position that some habitat enhancement provided by voluntary agreements can substitute for minimum flows. Please end your lawsuit and follow the unanimous resolution of the Palo Alto City Council to support minimum flows on, on the river and save Tuolumne's endangered fish. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Next caller, I've opened your line. You have two minutes. Good afternoon. This is Peter Dreckmeyer, Policy Director for the Tuolumne River Trust. Over the past two years, you hosted seven workshops to take deep dives into Tuolumne River issues. And I thought they were very productive, and I appreciated the opportunity to present at several of them. But nothing's changed. You just keep kicking the can down the road while the Tuolumne River is literally dying. And soon there will be two new commissioners who will likely come on board with rural background and will not have had the opportunity to learn from the workshop. The comments I heard from several of you at the last workshop were very discouraging. Again, it appears nothing's going to change. We presented evidence from the long-term vulnerability assessment that the design drought is way too conservative. Your staff presented no evidence to the contrary. So after spending $743,000 of ratepayer money on the long-term vulnerability assessment, the report's just being ignored. Your staff essentially said that running out of water would be bad. We all know this, which is why a risk analysis is so important. The long-term vulnerability assessment told us there's very little risk if the SFPC will run out of water. Yet nothing's changed. We're back to where we were before the workshops began. At the workshop, there seemed to be consensus that the SFPC's demand projections are inflated. But based on past experience, nothing's going to change. I'm extremely frustrated and disappointed with the commission. Facts and reason just fall on deaf ears. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Next caller, your line is open. You have two minutes. Thank you. I'm Christina Tapas, the president of the San Francisco League of Conservation Veterans. I cannot sufficiently express our profound disappointment with the SFPUC and the commissioners. 
We have attended innumerable scientific workshops where NGOs have presented science-based, peer-reviewed information, while the SFPC has been, at best, unprepared, if not actively misleading. We urgently want to see progress. We want the SFPC to develop a design draft that is based in actual science. We want the SFPC to stop wasting ratepayer dollars on reports and lawsuits and instead invest in technologies like water recycling that will address multiple problems we face, including algal blooms and the dying of the Bay Delta rivers like the Tuolumne. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Next caller, your line is open. You have two minutes. Hi, my name is Jesse Rader. I'm calling to say that I am also extremely disappointed with the commissioner's comments during the design drought workshop. After two years of workshops, excellent workshops, all of a sudden it seems clear you had no intention of modifying the design drought. And um, I'm as concerned as anyone about the coming impacts of climate change, but I'm concerned about the present effects of climate change where the river is hurting now and we can't just see no change. We can't have this ridiculous insurance policy of the design drought that's this conservative insurance policy that's not supported by honest evidence. And it's an insurance policy that's causing active harm to the river right now, and so that needs to change. Um, you know, if your seats, if the commissioner's seats were elected, you would have to listen to your constituents, and voters do not share your lack of concern for the environment. We want, we want to see you responding to the constituents of San Francisco a little bit more, and we're frustrated that it's not an elected position I am. Um, I'm also you know, uh, concerned about the fact that you're looking back at voluntary agreements that the water agencies are turning back to this idea of voluntary agreements after the last, effect, you know, the last attempt was discredited. Ten years ago, I worked um, on voluntary agreements on the NGO side, um, and my recollection from the time was that it was at best a delay tactic and at worst an attempt to sort of force something through that was going to be terrible for the river. And so I certainly hope that you will drop the lawsuit, that you will turn away from the voluntary agreements and actually start doing what the people of San Francisco want, um, and that is protecting the river. Thank you for your comments. Next caller, your line is open. You have two minutes. Good um, afternoon, commissioners. My name is Nate Rangel. I'm executive director of California Outdoors. We're a state uh, trade association representing outfitters, including river outfitters on the Tuolumne. I attended the drop design workshop, and I want to just say that I agree with everything that's been said to you so far during this uh, comment period. Uh, and in particular, I strongly urge you to, um, to uh, listen carefully to a Peter Dreckmeyer. I also just want to say this. Uh, for 22 years, I've worked for my constituents, my colleagues, um, representing them in circuit licensings on rivers uh, in California, including uh, the last two uh, closer ones, which would have been the Americans, Middle and South Fork. And I can assure you that SMUD and PG&E and Placer County Water Agency all are just as concerned as you about running out of water. And yet they were able to come to reasonable scenarios, recognize real evidence, and be 
equitable and reasonable in the agreements that they uh, and the mitigations that they agreed to. So I, I'm just going to say that I really hope that you'll sit back and reassess the choices you made because the choices you're making now I don't believe are reasonable or equi equitable or rational. I'd like you to take a look at the real evidence and not accept uh, uh, what your staff has given you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for your comments. Next caller, I've opened your line. You have two minutes. Hi, Commissioners. Uh, my name is John Rose Pepe. Um, I've uh, attended all the workshops during the last two years. I'm extremely disappointed where we are now. I feel you are totally stuck in the past. Uh, I feel the commissioners, all you commissioners, uh, don't have the capacity to change don't have the capacity to look forward, don't have the capacity when you're, when science is presented to you to interpret it. Um, you only accept the science that uh, justifies what you want. And what you want isn't to have a healthy river. Um, I was really appalled that uh, Steve Ritchie claimed to run out of water in reply to uh, Peter Jackmeyer's analysis on the 7.5 year drought, uh, instead of being able to rebut it. Um, just totally disappointed. Um, I'll reiterate, you know, we had 25,000 fall Chinook last year, we're down to 186. You talk about how you care about the health of the river, but you don't. Uh, I mean, I, I hate to say it, it reminds me, uh, the old uh, Soviet old bureau that couldn't change and uh, and things went to hell. So sorry my language. Uh, and that's it. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Madam Secretary and Commissioners, there are five callers remaining in the queue. Next caller, your line is open. You have two minutes. Hello, my name is Shannon McEntee and I live in Santa Clara County. At your last meeting, I added my name to a group statement in order to save the SFPUC public comment time. I'm so disappointed in the results of that meeting that I'm here with you today. Your design drought is arbitrary and conservative. It ignores the evidence from the long-term vulnerability assessment. The SFPUC can't risk the loss of fish habitat by ignoring legitimate data. Your new proposed voluntary agreement would be a catastrophe. There is no honest evidence to support your voluntary agreement. Why has the SFPUC not responded to the peer review, but instead embraced a deceptive and wishful thinking? Accepting bogus science from the irrigation districts over peer reviewed science produced by our state and credible NGOs is insane. You must drop the voluntary agreement and return to the Bay Delta plan. You must protect our fish and wildlife and keep the Delta free from toxic algae blooms such as we just experienced. Thank you, caller, for your comments. Next caller, your line is open. You have two minutes. Uh, David Pilpel again, and if you could give me and perhaps uh, everyone a 30-second uh, warning, that would be 
totally helpful. Um, I only had one item for general public comment, and I'll try to do this without getting um, emotional. I just wanted to note that uh, Commissioner um, Moran has not been reappointed, and depending on what happens with the Rules Committee and the Board of Supervisors in the next month, um, his term would end by operation of law on September 30th, um, ending his long association with the PUC as a um, staff uh, person, as the head of finance, as the head of Hatch Hatchy, as the general manager, and, and finally as a commissioner. Uh, commissioner Moran has um, long uh, served uh, the city in the interests of ratepayers and protected our uh, water rights, uh, overseen all kinds of things, um, as we'll hear later on in an agenda item, even all kinds of things. Anyway, I, um, I just wanted to express publicly my um, sadness that he may not be on the uh, commission much longer. I will not be able to attend the September 27th meeting because it's um, the second day of the Jewish New Year, but um, I, I really appreciate all of his long uh, tenure and um, just wanted to say that publicly. Thank you, Andy. Thank you for your comments. Next caller, your line is open. You have two minutes. Caller, are you there? Next caller, your line is open. You have two minutes. Hi, this is John McManus with the Golden State Salmon Association. We represent both sport and commercial salmon fishing interests, including the commercial salmon fishermen and women who work out of Fisherman's Wharf in San Francisco. A uh, couple of comments. We're coming up on the 50-year anniversary of the Clean Water Act, and I think many San Franciscans would be aghast to know that this commission I'm sorry, this uh, PUC has a lawsuit basically aimed at circumventing or undermining the Clean Water Act. Um, if you look at your correspondence log, you'll see quite a bit of correspondence from Northern California people who care about the environment asking the SFPUC to withdraw this lawsuit, and I would echo that. This lawsuit needs to be rescinded now. Also, uh, I'd like to just comment on the involuntary agreement that um, the SFPUC is poised to sign on to. And just note that uh, I would call it involuntary because key communities were excluded from the negotiations that produced this um, so-called agreement. That includes tribal people and uh, disadvantaged communities downstream, as well as those of us in the salmon fishing industry. All of us were left out of the room in this agreement that uh, folks are about to sign on to. One last comment, um, uh, echoing the last caller, I'm sad to see Commissioner Moran going and uh, understand that uh, he was not appointed after supporting the uh, workshop that recently was held in August against the wishes of some higher ups in the city. Um, and I'll stop there, thank you. Thank you for your comments. 
Next caller, your line is open. You have two minutes. Norma Jean Wallace, Technique, California, Verona Band, Hill. You are responsible to the voters, even if your positions are not directly elected. Facts have not swayed you, yet you live with your conscience. So my message is directed there. Actions speak louder than words. Why offer a land acknowledgement when you refuse by your actions to acknowledge the land itself? Is this how you steward? Why are you not focused on developing alternative water supplies, developing great water infrastructure? Are dams just easier? When you say predator control, you mean killing animals who just want to live, like I do. Animals with families, with newborns, our brothers and sisters. Is this how you steward? You intend to take away the water that all life requires without regard to the impacts that occur as a result of your decision. Is this how you steward? You ignore science and facts. You set aside evidence. Is this how you steward? Why would you again proceed with flawed science, flawed protocols, and a flawed process that leads you to go against the will of the voters whose tax money you are spending? Is this how you steward? Do you brag to your friends? You are personally hastening the death of not just individual populations, but entire species. Is this how you steward? You are accelerating climate change by depriving the mountain environments of water so trees can thrive and scrub the air to provide oxygen that we all require. Fish cannot thrive with less water, they need more. They should have all the water they need and more. When the air is unbreathable and the mountains are dead because we stole their water, thank yourselves for your priorities. This is your stewardship. Thank you for your comments. Next caller, your line is open. You have two minutes. Hi. My name is Margaret McNiven, and I live in unincorporated San Mateo County. The Tuolumne River has played a, played a special role in California history. For thousands of years, it was the hunting grounds that provided a summer food supply for indigenous populations. That is salmon, lots of it. Today, the Tuolumne is a mere shadow of its former self and can no longer support the indigenous peoples. Science shows us that 40% of normal flow rate is the minimum sufficient for salmon survival. Currently, the flow rate is half of that. The salmon population could well not survive another summer. We are heading for an ecological disaster from Hetch Hetchy to the Bay. Why? SFPUC has at least eight years of water stored in its upstream dams. I recognize your concern that San Francisco and the Central Valley will run out of water, but Peter and the Tuolumne River Trust have given you ample scientific evidence that your design drought level of water storage is nothing more than a ridiculously conservative insurance policy. I have been following reservoir levels reported in the Chronicle. It is mind-boggling that Hetch Hetchy is currently 83% full, compared with 72% this time last year, and we are just two to three months away from the next rain. With the way the climate is behaving these days, I believe there's an equal chance of flooding this winter as there is for continued drought, 
You should also be concerned about your role in potential flooding downstream. Please do the right thing for our beautiful river and protect our Bay Delta habitat by releasing more water now before it's too late. Thank you. Thank you, caller, for your comments. Next caller, your line is open. You have two minutes. Hi, Commissioners. This is Carol Steinfeld, co-chair of the Water Committee of the Loma Prieta chapter of the Sierra Club. Our chapter com uh, covers most of your wholesale buyer uh, communities. And I'm simply asking you to carry out your public charge and recognize that the voluntary agreements are an under-informed effort. You commissioners had to ask questions about the basis of the voluntary agreement rationale at a workshop, and those were very good questions. But they revealed that staff had not provided this information before, and also staff did not state how much the VA would cost. So please drop your support of these staff-developed voluntary agreements, which your own staff member told you at one of these meetings is a delaying measure, and take the time to be sure that the agency carries out fully informed actions on behalf of late payers and all to whom uh, you are accountable. And these lawsuits distract from focusing on 21st century water management, and we have to get away from these distractions. Thank you. Thank you, caller, for your comments. Madam Secretary, there are no more callers in the queue. Thank you, public general public comment is closed. Thank you, commissioners. The next item is communications. Any comments or questions about the communication provided to you? Seeing none, please uh, open public comment. Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item number six, communications, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do you have any members of the public present who wish to provide comment on item six? And I'd like to also note uh, in response to a comment made that there is a 30 second chime that you will hear before your time runs out. Do we have any members of uh, the public re uh, calling remotely who wish to speak? Madam Secretary, there are four callers in the queue. Thank you, callers. This is on communications. Hello, caller. I've opened your line. You have two minutes to comment on item number six. Caller, are you there? Next caller, um, open your line. You have two minutes to comment on item number six, communications. Hi, it's uh, John Rose of Pepe again. Um, I just uh, want to comment as far as communication. Uh, I felt the uh, board last time on the 23rd meeting asking conservationists to shorten the time limit to have people uh, basically sign a letter uh, was unfair, was deceptive. Uh, it uh, allowed people's voices not to be heard that should be heard, uh, both within this venue and for the public. Um, unfortunately, I feel that this, through the uh, commission and uh, the 
PUC has uh, for the last two years served with uh, disdain uh, and I would say contempt for information people are trying to convey um, permeates and uh, I hope this doesn't continue. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Next caller, I've opened your line. You have two minutes to comment on item number six. Great, uh, David Philpel again. Uh, two items on 6C, the correspondence log. I once again want to appreciate Commission Secretary uh, Donna Hood, who at my suggestion last year or the year before um, included all of the uh, emails and other correspondence received and summarized it and whether it's a, an individual letter or a form letter, it's all here, it's all for the public uh, to review and I appreciate her work uh, every meeting putting that together, which is not a five minute exercise, I'm sure. Um, on item 6H, I have no issue with the recommendations from the PUC Citizens Advisory Committee that I previously sat on. I just had one caution on page, let me find it here, page six uh, of eight, the final resolved that the uh, second resolution should be forwarded among others to the clerk of LAFCO. Uh, I believe that the PUC CAC's jurisdiction exists only uh, to the extent of making recommendations to the general manager, this commission, uh, the mayor and the board of supervisors. And I think it is slightly inappropriate to uh, communicate otherwise, including to the clerk of LAFCO, although the um, resolution um, definitely um, expresses the, the views of the committee. I think all of those views should be expressed to uh, primarily to you and as I said, to the general manager, the mayor and the board and they can do with those recommendations as they see fit. Those are my thoughts on item six. Thanks for listening. Thank you for your comments. Next caller, I've opened your line. You have two minutes to comment on item number six. Thank you, Peter Dreckmeyer, Tuolumne River Trust. Wanted to comment on item 6D, the alternative water supply quarterly report. Um, it includes a graphic you see on occasion with two bars, one showing uh, water needs through obligations, which is the design drought at 265 MGD demand, and demands, which is supposedly the urban water management plan, demand projections, um, and the design drive eight and a half years. Uh, the projections in the urban water management plan are not projections, as Steve Ritchie said at the workshop in July of 2021. Uh, they're an outside envelope. And on July 12th, you got a report dated July 5th. Staff finally responded to the request to compare Finance Bureau and Water Enterprise demand projections and comparing them to actual. And I've heard no discussion about that report. Um, took six months. And what it clearly states is the room water management plan projections are very unlikely to materialize and that finance uh, attempts to be as close to actual as possible. 
both finance and water enterprise have overprojected. The water enterprise dramatically and finance much closer. And as you know, finance is projecting for the next 10 years, water sales are going to remain flat. So as we described at the uh, design drought workshop, if you used 200 MGD demand, and demand's been under 200 for the last eight years, uh, you'd see a 36 MGD decrease in that number. So why does that number keep going up? Now it's 94, it was 84, because there's an assumption that wholesale customers are gonna need to buy more water. Um, I haven't seen any evidence about that. And it just appears to me that SFTUC staff are again attempting to inflate numbers to create. Thank you for your comments. I'm sorry your time has expired. Madam Secretary, there are no more callers in the queue. Thank you, public comment on item six is closed. Thank you, commissioners. Any additional comments or questions? Seeing none, next item, please. Before I read the next item, I'd like to note for the record that Commissioner Vice President Ajami arrived at um, 2.05 p.m. Next item is item seven, report of the general manager. Thank you, Madam Secretary. Uh, item 7A is a drought condition update by Steve um, Ritchie. Now the microphone's on. Um, thank you. Uh, good afternoon, Commissioners. Steve Ritchie, Assistant General Manager for Water. Uh, if I could have the slides, please. Uh, we'll review the drought conditions update. Um, and it has a number of slides in it, but I will probably skip some of these because as it's summer, they are not changing at all. So it's not worth uh, dwelling on those. Uh, but here are September 6th uh, storage levels. Uh, as noted by a caller, uh, the uh, Hetch Hetchy is at 83% capacity. That's a little less than the normal at this time, which is 86%. Uh, uh, but that is also because this has had been a, a decent year. You know, got a less than average year, uh, but certainly better than the, the two prior years uh, for water. Uh, again, the key figure here is the water bank figure, where water bank is at 44% of capacity. Uh, and so we're keeping a close eye on that as we move into uh, the fall. Um, once again, uh, we see the state uh, reservoirs around the state. Uh, and once again, uh, Shasta and Oroville are very, very low at 35 and 37 percent each, uh, as opposed to Don Pedro, which is at about 54 percent. So, yes, the Tuolumne is in a little bit better shape than the state, uh, but certainly not, uh, not anything to really write home about. Uh, the drought monitor, this hasn't changed very much at all. In fact, there's one that came last Thursday and it looks about the same as this. The state is within the drought, there's no doubt about that. Um, and precipitation, I'll actually skip over the precip slides because those haven't changed at all. We have very, uh, very little precipitation in the summer and so it's really what it was uh, from our, our three big months earlier in the year, both in the Bay Area and Hetch Hetchy. Uh, and the snowpack again for this year uh, is completely gone. Uh, the water available to the city came in at 200,000 acre feet this year, uh, which is uh, again a better than number than it has been, but still well below what it would take to fill the system. Uh, the precipitation forecast, this is a little bit interesting. That first week there, you can see uh, what actually happened uh, last week with the hurricane that crept up into California. Uh, and in fact, uh, 
based on uh, experience from um, both Nicole Sancouler from Bosca, who was up at Hetch Hetchy over the weekend, and Ellen Levin, my deputy, who was up in the Tuolumne area. They both said uh, it reached up there as well. So there was uh, actually a nice little dose of precipitation, not enough to cure the drought, but certainly it was a lot better than it has been. They also expressed an interest in a lot of wind. It was very windy as well at the same time. Uh, but then again, the second week here, uh, from the 14th through the 22nd, we're looking at a completely dry California. Uh, this is the slide that actually really counts out of uh, today's presentation. This is the delivery level that we've been seeing. Uh, and I've emphasized uh, so far that uh, the, where, the very positive thing about this is that the green line there in the middle basically has shown that we have flattened off demand during the summer. So people have responded very well to reducing outdoor irrigation. I think that's a very positive sign here. Uh, and it's certainly well below uh, 2019 and 2020. Uh, and that orange line below where we are now is where we got to in 2015 during the last drought, which was, again, uh, pretty much the summertime peak eliminated. Uh, I've actually produced a different version of this slide that's not here showing 2013, and it would be basically right at the top of the chart. Uh, so we are doing uh, far better than we were in, 10, in 2013. Uh, this shows 2000, excuse me, 210 MGD uh, a couple of weeks ago. For this last week, uh, that demand went up, uh, and it, it actually is an in interesting week because of the holiday, which had decreased demands, but then the heat spell, which had very much increased demand. So uh, deliveries this last week were about 216 MGD, which are a little bit of an uptick, but given the temperature uh, still within the realm of where we should be. Uh, the downside of all this, though, is that I think it's pretty clear we're not going to reach the 11% uh, reduction target that we have set. I think despite the fact that our customers seem to have responded quite well, uh, they're not able to get down to that level. And looking at uh, some of the historic numbers, um, you know, we could be getting into an area where we're seeing, you know, uh, demand hardening a little bit. We've always seen there's more. If you ask, they'll deliver. If you ask, they'll deliver. This time, we're asking, and they're not quite delivering as much. Uh, and I think there's probably, you know, many reasons about that that we'll be looking into. Um, but again, we're not quite going to make uh, what we were hoping for in terms of about 11% reduction. It's probably going to be more in the realm of 9% reduction for the year, something like that. So we'll be evaluating what it is we should do next on the uh, things we might want to do about uh, demand reduction going into next year if it persists in being dry. Uh, then the last slide here uh, shows uh, the hard numbers on uh, demand reduction. For the period July 1, 21 through June 30, 22, we reduced about 6% overall between the wholesale customers in San Francisco. Uh, and January 1 through September 1 of 2022, uh, about 5%. Uh, so again, not, not quite what we wanted. The lower box uh, is basically the summertime period, and that's the one I've emphasized, where we actually got to about 10.3% across the board, which is pretty good. Again, taking into account already the low per capita demand we have in San Francisco on the residential side of 42 gallons per person per day and on the wholesale side of about 66 gallon per person per day, far below what most of the rest of the state is. Um, so good performance, but I think uh, we need to rethink uh, how we move forward into the next year 
uh, to see if we can do better in some way or if there are some uh, different tools we can use uh, to reduce demand. And I'd be happy to answer any questions. Thank you, Steve. Any comments or questions? Commissioner Jami? Trying to find the buttons. <laughs> um, Steve, thank you for this presentation. I think I'm on the, on the last slide you have. Um, I was wondering, so you mentioned uh, 66 gallon per, per person per day in the peninsula. I was wondering what's the diversity of that number across the peninsula when you're looking. Well, yeah, and then that's actually the entire wholesale area. So it's the peninsula right. plus northern Santa, uh, Santa Clara and Alameda County. Um, uh, I, I can't remember if uh, Nicole has ever shown this slide, but we've, we've looked at data with them that really show that there are four wholesale customers that really are the, the peak right. demand areas. Uh, and the bulk of the customers are at a, a level about the same, a little bit less than that 66. And those, you know, I'll name names, the four wholesale customers are uh, basically Woodside, Atherton, Los Altos Hills, and uh, Hillsboro, you know, the ones with the large lots uh, and a lot of landscaping. And so, uh, and they've even reduced their demands substantially, but not nearly to the level of the others. So the bulk of the customers actually are in closer to the 60 gallons per person per day uh, demand, with several actually even below that. Uh, again, they names East Palo Alto and Daly City have been also always very good uh, saving customers. And then on the uh, on that same slide that you had with the graphics, uh, um, you know. In, makes me wonder when you're looking at the 210 number or 216 as you mentioned for last week mm -hmm. um, if you look back at by the end of sort of springtime or early but before the summer sort of started the numbers were significantly lower so I wonder if there needs to be some form of um, you know, a study done to figure out okay so obviously a lot of that is driven by outdoor water use and then focusing on how we can bring those customers um, along to be a little bit more conscious about how much they use water. Just because if next year is going to be dry, we need to have a we need to figure out how to bring those numbers down. And and um, and I you know if San Franciscans can save that much water, which be the smaller lots or basically barely in that much outdoor water use, I assume the peninsula should be able to do better too. Yeah, I, I would make two comments on that. One, uh, for San Francisco's water savings, again, I think we're seeing, uh, continuing to see lower demand as a result of a, a less robust economy in San Francisco. So it's not all conservation. It's actually uh, has to do with economic conditions as well. Uh, in terms of the, the per capita demand and going forward into next year, uh, I think that's what we want to take a hard look at. If, uh, if it persists with dry conditions into the winter, uh, I think our message needs to be very aggressive early on about, you know, don't think that this is going to end anytime soon. Right. We need to start reducing outdoor irrigation more. Uh, we could even consider working with our customers on thinking about, you know, 
uh, wholesale extreme limitations with the exception of uh, parks and schools, uh, that there be you know, limitations for all in terms of days per week, hours per day, maybe even some areas a complete ban on outdoor irrigation for uh, non-park and school conditions. So those, are, those are the kinds of things that I come to mind as the way to make that next increment of progress if it looks like it's going to be bad going forward. Sounds good. Thank you. Thank you. Any other comments or questions? Uh, public comment, please. Oh, I'm sorry, Commissioner Maxwell. Well, even if it does rain now, I mean, we know that climate is changing, so mm -hmm. going forward, we will need to do something even if we have one wet winter. So maybe there should be a program that, you know, we just keep the squeeze on the ball and not necessarily let it go. Mm-hmm. Um, mm -hmm. I agree with that. I think that uh, there, there's a renewed energy uh, statewide to, you know, basically buy back lawns. Uh, you know, it's, it's the people have talked about as the largest crop in California, because mm. uh, it is. But it's 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 a little bit of a luxury in this climate, uh, and so moving away from those more and more, and it's generally a little bit of an investment, and that helps people get the get the idea. Mm -hmm. All right, so that means that we're going to continue. Regardless of regardless whether we're in a drought good. or not, yep. Thank you. Thank you. Any other comments, questions? Public comment, please. Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item 7A, please press star 3 to raise your hand to speak. Do you have any members of the public present who wish to provide comment on item 7A? And then, Mr. Moderator, do you have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, we have one caller in the queue. Hello, caller, I've opened your line. You have two minutes to comment on item 7A. Thank you. Peter Dreckmeyer, Tuolumne River Trust. What I'd like to know is why there wasn't a drought conditions update on your agenda at the workshop three weeks ago. Is it because Staff didn't want people to see that the SFUC is sitting on four years' worth of water. At the same time, they're making an argument that we could run out of water. I also want to point out that water available to the city in this report is just Tuolumne River water, which was about 200,000 acre feet. In the Bay Area, the water available to the city was 45,000 acre feet, so more than 240,000 acre feet last year, and demand was about 215,000 acre feet. So throughout year, you were able to capture more water than demand. And I sent you a letter about these issues, and I referenced the graph that staff presented at the workshop, which I thought was very misleading because it only gave partial information, and it's very hard to read. And I recommended three graphs that I think would be very visually appealing and would tell the message. And I encourage you to ask staff to produce those graphs. What they'll show you is that we wouldn't have run out of water historically, even with the Bay Delta plant plan flows in place at current demand. And that's the kind of information the public needs to see and you need to see. So I encourage you to follow up with staff and ask them for those graphs. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. 
Madam Secretary, another caller has joined the queue. Hello, caller, I've opened your line. You have two minutes. The Commission has... We all know we had a good workshop. But at that workshop, they were not transparent. And so Peter has stated very clearly, and I hope you understand, that Peter has a lot of experience, and you commissioners, you all just feed on some lies. You do not know, up till now, the spirit of the Raker Act. The water that's coming to San Francisco much before the other counties were formed was meant for San Francisco. And San Franciscans, there's no doubt about it, they do not need to be told how to conserve water. We do it because they are well-read and well-educated. So you commissioners have to focus on San Francisco for the future. And this uh, analogy of pressing or squeezing the ball that doesn't, that doesn't jive well with uh, the, the discussion we have today. Doesn't. Some of you commissioners are not even fine tuned to climate change. I've been involved with climate change for 40 years. Again, we have a good person in Peter. He writes well, he speaks to the point. Thank you for your comments. I'm sorry, but your time has expired. Madam Secretary, there are no more callers in the queue. Thank you, public comment, and item 7A is closed. The next item is uh, 7B, Clean Power SF Integrated Resource Plan Update by Cheryl Taylor. Good afternoon, Commissioners. My name is Cheryl Taylor, Operations Manager for Clean Power SF. I'm here today to provide an update of staff's progress on the 2022 Integrated Resource Plan and present initial modeling results. Um, can I have the, oh, great. Um, we were here about three months ago to brief you on the Integrated Resource Plan planning process. So. To do a little recap, um, an integrated resource plan is an energy planning tool or process used to support achieving policy goals and meeting regulatory requirements. Our planning process is focused on identifying a portfolio of electricity resources to meet our customers' demand at the lowest cost while also meeting local policy goals and state regulatory requirements. Now, we are required to submit this plan to the California Public Utilities Commission by November 1st, and the plan we submit will identify a portfolio of electricity resources to meet our customers' demand through 2035. Um, I have included uh, key terms that we use um, sort of throughout our plan that shape our plan, and it's just for reference. I'm going to skip over that. So the CPUC allows electricity providers to consider multiple portfolios in their plans. 
and the portfolios will fall into two categories, a conforming portfolio and alternative portfolios. So with the conforming portfolios, we're required to use inputs and assumptions provided by the CPUC with a focus on statewide emission reduction goals and targets. And so for example, the demand forecast cannot be changed to account for local goals and targets. With the alternative portfolios, those provide us the flexibility to use Clean Power SF specific inputs and assumptions. They will include the estimated electricity demand increases resulting from local transportation electrification and building decarbonization goals and targets. So we'll come back to you in October and ask you to approve a conforming portfolio as Clean Power SF's preferred portfolio for submission to the CPUC by November 1st. And we'll use both the portfolio you approve and alternative portfolios to inform Clean Power Assess power supply procurement needs. So I'd like to talk to you a little bit about community engagement. It's been central to the 2022 plan development. The team has designed and is implementing a two-phase engagement strategy with the goal of increasing community awareness of the planning process and providing opportunities for the public to learn about the plan and offer feedback. Early in the summer, we implemented phase one of the outreach plan, which included contacting more than 600 community-based organizations, launch of an online digital survey, two virtual community workshops, and a dedicated web page for the plan. So, and we, we heard a number of common themes and priorities during phase one, which were rates affordability, clean energy accessibility for low-income San Franciscans, a priority for achieving 100% renewable electricity by 2025, and then more local supply to enhance reliability. So coming up for community engagement, we'll focus on soliciting community feedback on the modeling results to help inform staff recommended portfolio, preferred portfolio, and this phase will continue through October. We'll seek that feedback through web -based, a web-based online comment form, which would alert the public of model updates, and two planned virtual community listening sessions with staff on hand to answer questions, clarify any of the information. So since we were here in June, we've consolidated and simplified our energy resource portfolios to four scenarios, down from maybe about seven. And there are two each in the conforming and the alternative buckets. So in the conforming buckets, there's the base case, which will meet the city's 2025 renewable energy goal, and a time coincident case that emphasizes matching renewable energy produced with customer electricity usage in real time by 2030. And on the alternative side, um, we have a case in which the mayor's electric vehicle and building electrification targets are met, and that supplies the estimated increased load through 2040, um, resulting from emissions-free trips in the city and building decarbonization targets. And then lastly, a local resource procurement case that supplies 50% of Clean Power SF's load with local resources. Our consultant is working very, very hard to finalize the results of both the portfolios and is in the beginning stages of modeling the alternative. And just as soon as we've um, validated the, the results, we'll post them on our, our website, and that includes any refinements. Um, 
so I just want to also say the conforming and alternative portfolios share a baseline group of renewable energy resources totaling over 800 megawatts of capacity. And the 800 megawatts of baseline resources include specific projects that Clean Power SF either has under long-term contract and projects that are in various stages of planning and development. Recognizing that local investment is a goal of, for Clean Power SF, our project team required that all, all portfolios include over 285 megawatts of local resource and capacity, including 50 megawatts of geothermal, almost 90 megawatts of solar, and 150 megawatts of local battery storage. So here's a preview of our initial modeling results of our base case portfolio. And I'd just like to say as a disclaimer, the initial modeling results present an illustrative view of the Clean Power SF portfolio based on CPUC inputs and our parameters. And we are continuing to validate our input assumptions with the consultant. So the, the pie chart illustrates the projected energy supply in 2035 for the base case portfolio, um, which is developed to meet the city's 100% renewable energy and, and greenhouse gas-free target by 2025. The base case modeling calls for having nearly 2,000 megawatts in total resource capacity online by 2035, and that would include procurement of 300 megawatts of new solar, 60 megawatts of new geothermal, and 150 megawatts of new standalone energy storage by 2035. We will continue, we'll update the Clean Power SF Integrated Resource Plan website with modeling results as they're finalized, and we'll return to you in your first October meeting with the balance of modeling results. So super quickly on this slide, um, this slide shows the initial results of the base case portfolio costs compared to the Clean Power SF's 10-year financial plan supply cost estimates from 2023 to 2032. On average, this initial base case portfolio is 20% higher than what we estimated in that 10-year financial plan on a dollars per megawatt hour basis. But I would like to stress that these are estimates based on, in, based on initial model results and they're not yet final. So rounding the corner toward the end, um, we are working with the consultant to perform portfolio modeling using electric industry standard techniques and software. We'll evaluate each of the portfolios developing, developed a, a, a set of metrics tied to the program goals adopted by the Commission for Clean Power SF which include affordable and reliable service, cleaner electricity alternatives, local investment in renewable energy projects and jobs, and long-term rate and financial stability. Okay, so what's next? We are currently modeling planned portfolios through this week, and we'll start posting results by early next week, and we'll solicit comments from the public on our plan analysis as results become available. After we've completed all the modeling exercises for all portfolios, we will return to the commission in October, this will be your second meeting, to present our recommended preferred portfolio and seek your approval prior to submitting to the CPUC by November 1st. So that concludes my presentation and I'm happy to answer any questions. Thank you, uh, Commissioner Maxwell. Thank you. And thank you for your presentation. Uh, where would uh, roof solar fall, and, and how are we looking at decentralizing our power? Um, meaning like if I have a solar 
that's my own little power plant. Mm -hmm. How are we looking at that, and, and where does that fall? That's a great question. I'm going to ask Mike to come up. Let me take a little stab at it, though. So that would be the dis a distributed energy resource that I believe would be behind the meter. It's sort of embedded um, the, the, the solar that sort of individuals produce from their rooftops is embedded in um, our, our load assumptions for what um, San Francisco produces that we will not need to procure on the market, if that makes any sense. Do you want to add anything? Sure. Uh, good afternoon, commissioners. Mike Himes. I'm the uh, deputy AGM responsible for Clean Power SF. I agree with everything Cheryl just said. The, the one uh, thing I'd like to add is, um, so she mentioned that uh, rooftop solar is addressed on the demand side of the picture. So we account for that in our demand projections. Um, for this exercise, we're using sort of historical trends in the growth of the behind the meter type, the rooftop solar. Mm -hmm. um, and this is sort of a, a sensitivity that we've been looking at and uh, something we've, we've been working also with the state around is refining these kinds of assumptions in this process. Um, but uh, one other point I want to make is that uh, the, the rooftop investments also sort of depend on an action by the customer. And what this exercise is very much focused on is sort of what's in our direct control, which is the procurement of wholesale power supply. So the local rooftop can very much supplement this, um, <laughs> but it's, it's uh, a little bit less in our direct control what's being done on customer rooftops. Yes, I, I understand that. It just seems that um, is it something that would make, if we had more of it, would make a bigger impact um, or could make a bigger impact on procurement, on cost, um, or does it factor in? It's okay. Um, it certainly could. Yeah, I, I think what, what we um, have to plan for is the residual demand that our customers have on the grid. So it could have mixed impacts for us, to be, to be frank. The, um, the, the growth of solar in the state is really driving down the cost of sort of the midday procurement and driving up the cost of evening. Now, of course, we can, we can couple rooftop solar with storage. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. It's not perfect. But um, that would be one way for us to help our customers um, move the electrons we create in the middle of the day into the evening and help us with our costs. But it still, um, it, it would reduce our procurement needs, but it may increase sort of our average costs if you're following that. If we're looking at costs, but I was just, so I was just wondering if it would be worth us having a program, a bigger one. We've had them before, but would it be worth us having a bigger program to um, decentralize our pow the power and procurement. And I know that we can't always judge everything by cost. I mean, cost is important, but we have to also look at the environmental cost to it and, and other things. Yeah, I, I mean, I think, I think the answer is yes, and it's something that we are talking about doing more research on, mm -hmm. especially as it can provide reliability benefits within the city. Mm -hmm. um, there has been talk of microgrids Mm -hmm. um, I think this also connects to our discussion of uh, the distribution system and what the future is in the city there. Yep. 
Um, because Clean Power SF's core responsibility is to procure the electrons on the grid, mm -hmm. not to run the distribution system. And so that's kind of this, this is sort of where things meet, right, is the local grid. Right, I know Australia was doing a huge program um, on decentralizing, so it's just, I'm glad we're looking into it and it seems it, it should be something that um, could help over, and also it makes people more aware you know, what they're using, when they're using, and, you know, decentralizing power. So thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Jami. On the same topic, um, we read each other's mind, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, but maybe I pivot a little bit. I think you, you answered this question quite well, and I got the point there. But um, where are we on sort of leasing people's roofs for for example, solar panels, and maybe not individual homes, but you know, we have malls and we have commercial buildings. It just made me think, you know, we have all this um, issue with using um, assets that don't belong to us, and the, and I wonder if it's sort of if we lease other, you know, some of these buildings' roofs and put solar panels on them that we own, um, right? Or schools? Yeah, all these public buildings. Um, then it sort of breaks us apart from uh, using those assets and kind of becomes our assets and our management. And I, I understand it's behind the meter, but still if it's ours, we are counting those electrons. And, um, and basically my question was if you have considered that and so uh, um, uh, individual solars in your modeling, but since you already answered that, I wonder if you have thought about this. I, I think there was a program, if I re recall, it was like, um, I can't remember the acronym, but it was had, had something to do with uh, leasing people's roofs as a place to put these solar panels on. I, I will say, and I would like Mike to come up <laughs> again, but um, I will say as part of our local resource procurement, um, we have a, a small but I hope growing portion of solar that we are working with our water enterprise and sort of putting on top of reservoirs. That's oops, not like a next year thing, I don't think, but it's in development. And, and that's um, contemplated as part of our um, integrated resource plan. Um, but would you like to say more? Yeah, Mike Himes. Uh, I just to, to speak to the leasing roof roofs, and there there are a lot of different models, potential models, and we have put some thought into them. Um, we haven't looked uh, deeply into the model of putting our own assets on third-party roofs. Um, uh, it's certainly something we could look more into. It is, you know, just very complex. Um, and I think there's, there's uh, the potential for just a lot of risk there as well, as far as navigating uh, the roof conditions of a third party um, and placing our infrastructure that we then need to maintain on um, private, private rooftops. Um, the kind of model in between what we're doing now and that, um, that, that we uh, have been working on is to invite uh, third parties, private businesses, uh, even even potentially public institutions, to develop their own roof uh, top mm -hmm. projects and sell that power to us. So uh, we don't have to uh, get in the business of running and uh, of operating and maintaining an asset on a third party 
uh, property. Um, and instead, we can purchase what we're looking for, which is the electrons. Um, so that's a model that we're working on. Um, and you know, quite frankly, I don't think these things are mutually exclusive either. Um, we could potentially explore all of them. Uh, the third one, and which is uh, something that we're uh, really pushing forward, is continuing to develop solar on our own property, uh, right. which we have quite a bit of, um, including our uh, water reservoirs within the city. So that's something that you know, Power and Water have been collaborating on. Um, and we are uh, hoping to be able to pursue more projects in the near term on uh, water reservoirs. So on the on leasing, I understand the risk that you mentioned, but I also wonder, um, in a way, I, taking that risk, potentially there might be some way in between that you can, um, you know, pay for that infrastructure. We we can pay for that infrastructure, but they own like sort of uh, we own, but they operate and maintain, right? Different kind of um, business model that we can explore. Partly because, so okay, so, I, so if it's on our roof or if it's on the reservoir, we still need to we need to use other people's asset to move things around, move things, move electrons around, right? But if it's on the building, then we are not. We basically be creating this individual sort of uh, self-maintained buildings that sort of can generate. Obviously, we can put. Um, batteries, then that way we actually are procuring electrons, but also not dealing with the whole cost of dealing with putting electrons in someone else's assets and moving moving them around and and all the drama around that, right? So I, I just I understand it's complex. I wonder if now that you're going through this modeling exercise, why wouldn't we try those kind of things too? And there are so many public. Roofs, not just the ones that we own, but you know, I think Commissioner Maxwell mentioned schools, but we are also talking about other buildings. Uh, you know, I, I really think malls are a great example of that because so much going on there. You can actually use that electricity to run these systems. Uh, I like, I love the idea of microgrids. I think that kind of creates these neighborhoods that are sort of are becoming independent. Um, but I think it's just maybe trying those kind of models as a as a ex mental exercise, and then eventually then we, we are prepared for the changes that can come around, right? Um, and if we can be part of that change rather than sort of being the consumer of what comes down the pipeline, right? Yeah. So I that, that I I would really love to see some of that. And one other thing I would say is I have seen this individual um, uh, wind turbines on people's roofs, which I find very, very fascinating. And the fact that sort of creates this, um, uh, you know, morning you use sun, afternoon, maybe the wind would, you know, make that electricity generation. Um, so, you know, that also, um, I wonder where that fits into this whole portfolio um, development exercise. Yeah. Well, those are all great considerations um, that we'll definitely take back. And I, I, I do want to mention, too, that the um, you know, this idea of looking at different business models is sort of kind of what I'm hearing, too. I mean, that, that's work, obviously, that can keep going beyond this, this particular sure. integrated resource plan cycle. Um, and I definitely hear you on uh, anticipating the future and how that might change our way of, of conducting business. Right. Thank you. Oh, and just one. Yeah, Commissioner Maxwell. Yeah. Um, 
thinking about infinity and cable, they use other people's assets. You know, I mean, they put their stuff on other people's homes and other people's um, towers and, and everything else. So there, there is that model. Yeah, that we can use. Yeah. Thank you. Commissioner Paulson. Thank you. Um, and by the way, my request to speak button hasn't worked all day, so hopefully that gets corrected. So I'm not flipping in. Anyway, so going a little bit back, um, and thanks for your presentation. Um, going a little back in the calendar and the slides, um, I just had a couple of uh, information questions. One, I think I noticed that you said w there's been like 65 meetings so far in terms of outreach um, to the community. So I, I have three questions. Um, and, and I'd be curious, um, my second one is, you know, what that list is, um, just, just for information, not to, to log jam anything. And then you mentioned a little bit more towards the end, then there'll be public input or feedback at the end. I wonder if you could just very quickly explain what that okay. outreach is in terms of setting up this program. And I know that's, you know, a lot of this has already taken place. Okay. Um, I'd like to invite the Power Communications Manager, Peter Galata, to elaborate. But I will say we had um, two virtual community workshops in our phase one. Um, we had about a dozen community organizations and uh, represented. And Peter can talk a little bit more about, you know, some organizations and folks on that list. Um, and then we also plan to have uh, two more virtual community workshops. Um, uh, I believe later this month, um, early next month. But I'll invite Peter to give more of that detail. And my question is not just, you, you elaborated and listed a few of the folks. I'm just curious what that outreach was, what that total list of outreach was in terms of setting that up. Okay. Thanks. Good afternoon, Commissioners. Peter Galata, Communications Manager for Power for the SFPUC. And thank you for the question, Commissioner Paulson. So as Cheryl mentioned, we um, outreached to over 600 community-based organizations uh, back in June to inform them about the IRP development process. Those organizations really represent, I think, a cross-section of San Francisco, racial and economic justice groups, climate and environmental groups, merchants associations, neighborhood groups, unions and labor organizations as well. We have a list um, that I'm happy to, through the commission secretary, share with you those organizations and the contacts that we reached out to. Um, we're planning to re-engage that same universe in our phase two, as Cheryl mentioned, with the community sessions, virtual listening sessions that will be coming up later this month and in early October. Great. And, and, and I assume you have a checklist as to who came and who didn't come or who responded or didn't respond also? Yes, we, we do. We have that RSVP list for the, for the workshop, so I'm happy to provide that to you all as well. That'd be great. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Uh, the one thing that occurs to me is in the alternate water supply plan that we heard earlier today, there was a new program added to deal with kind of cutting edge uh, programs to do some pilots and all. And one was uh, like harvesting from uh, fog and all of that. It may be helpful in this context as well that there are a lot of good ideas that maybe aren't ripe for prime time, uh, but uh, to acknowledge that they are receiving attention uh, and that we are following that those technologies would be helpful. I think in, when we come back to you in October, we can maybe talk about some of the sort of things on the horizon, um, if that would work. We can include that in our presentation. Okay, thank you. Any other comments? Seeing none, public comment, please. 
Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item 7B, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do you have any members of the public present who wish to provide comment on 7B? Mr. Moderator, do you have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there is one caller wishing to be recognized. Hello, caller, I've opened your line. You have two minutes. Great, David Philpell again. Uh, just very briefly on this item, uh, thanks to um, Barbara Hale, Michael Hyams, uh, Cheryl Taylor, and Peter Galata, I feel like my uh, input on this issue has been uh, heard, and I'm sure it will be responded to and incorporated, and I uh, hope to have more input on this in the next round of uh, public involvement, but I really appreciate uh, the work that Cheryl, Peter, and the team have been doing on uh, the integrated uh, resource plan. So, thank you. Thank you for your comments. Madam Secretary, there are no more callers in the queue. Public comment on 7B is closed. <clears throat> Item 7C is Hetch Hetchy Capital Improvement Program Quarterly Report by Katie Miller. Good afternoon, Commissioners. I'm Katie Miller, Director of Water Capital Programs. Um, can I have the slides, please? Uh, today, I will cover highlights of the Hetch Hetchy Capital Improvement Program for the fourth quarter of last fiscal year from April 1st to June 30th, 2022. These pie charts show the program status with nine projects in pre-construction, seven projects in construction or multiple phases. Uh, $175 million has been spent to date for about 29% completion overall. 23 million was spent during the quarter, representing significant construction activity on several projects. This table shows a summary of project expenditures and cost forecasts grouped by funding sources of water, power, or joint water and power. There were no new cost variances this quarter. All projects have the same cost forecasts as reported in the past two quarters and represent the funding levels that were approved in February 2022 in the 10-year CIP. The updated budgets will re be reported in the next quarter since this will be the first quarter of the new fiscal year. And now for some project highlights of some projects in construction. The Mountain Tunnel Improvements team worked with the contractor this quarter to review critical materials procurement in preparation and preparation activities needed for next year's shutdown when the new flow control facility will be tied into the existing tunnel. The flow control facility shaft is now complete at 150 feet deep and the bypass tunnels were almost complete at the end of the quarter. Road access improvements continued at all locations. The Moccasin Powerhouse and Generator Step-Up Transformer project also made significant progress in design and construction. The new transformer installed last year was partially utilized by Hetch Hetchy Water and Power staff, and the second transformer is currently being manufactured and tested at the factory. The Generator's Rewind project completed the design phase, and notice to proceed for construction was issued during this current quarter. This photo shows a generator winding bar being formed and tested at the factory. The San Joaquin Pipeline Valve and Safe Entry Project made significant progress on its four major construction contracts during the quarter. 
Phase 1A contract for improvements to San Joaquin Pipeline Number 2 received construction notice to proceed. Phase 1B contract for similar improvements to San Joaquin Pipelines Number 3 and 4 advertised last quarter and was awarded in August. Phase 3 reached 95% design completion for the new surge tower at Tesla Portal, which is pictured here. And finally, the last contract for the phase two improvements started the design phase. For the transmission line seven eight upgrades project to improve power transmission towers, the construction contract was awarded during the quarter and notice to proceed is anticipated in October. And I'd be happy to answer any questions. Any questions or comments? Thank you, Katie. Uh, public comment, please. Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of public remote public comment on item 7C, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do you have any members of the public present who wish to provide comment on item 7C? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do we have any speakers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there are no callers in the queue. Thank you. Public comment on item 7C is closed. Uh, Commissioner Paulson. Yeah, just one quick comment. I, I know that it's been a while since we've all, as commissioners, taken a, 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 a tour out in out in the field. And I know we were at the southeast plant, you know, some months ago when that thing was in full full blaze. And it might be if you can think of something that was just, you know, really, um, you know, eye-opening or, you know, critical in terms of you know the staff. Uh, um, importance and whatever else it might be nice if we wander out again sometime keep that uh, keep that in mind not as a hard request so that you know we're looking at our calendar every week but you know still think of some place that uh, might be important for us to go out and take a look because this sort of perked up my uh, my brain thanks I know we are already planning a mountain tunnel tour for the last week of February um, I think we can only take two of you at a time, but um, we will uh, look into how we might be able to arrange whoever would like to go. Um, we'll be in touch with you on that. And uh, I know we're also looking at, um, we're planning, already planning our summer tours for next summer, um, but we can see if there's something else that we wanna set up in between now and next summer. We, we would love to show you, especially now that these projects are really in full construction. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, public comment, please. We've closed public comment. We, we've had public, didn't we? Oh, we have. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Next item, please. All right. Item 7D. <laughs> item 7D is a wastewater enterprise quarterly report, including uh, the southeast area major projects, biosolids, headworks, and 1550 Southeast Evans Community Center from Steve Robinson. Afternoon, uh, President Ron, Commissioners. Um, Stephen Robinson, uh, Assistant General Manager for Infrastructure. So I'm presenting this uh, quarterly report today while we look to backfill my former position as Director of the Wastewater Capital Program. Um, it is the quarterly report for wastewater um, from March through June. So we can have the slides up, please. Um, and as usual, then, we've combined some more current updates for the three major projects in the Southeast community. So I'd like to always start off with some construction updates. Um, the first project here on the left is the Mariposa Dry Weather Pump Station and Force Main Improvement Project. Construction is anticipated to be complete in October of this year. 
Um, so this quarter, uh, the pump station fencing and handrail and landscape architecture um, were all installed. So those are the final touches, really, to this project. The staging area on Terry Francois Boulevard has since also been removed, and the construction team is steadily working through a punch list of items to complete the final work in order to turn the pump station over to the wastewater enterprise. So that's exciting. Um, this image shows the exterior portion of the pump station before the installation of some signage. Sorry, you're right. There you go. Sorry, thank you. Um, so this image shows the exterior portion of the pump station before the installation of silage, which went up last week. Um, so now everyone knows a little bit more about what this um, recent piece of work is. The second project in the middle is the Oceanside Plant Digester Gas Handling Facility project, construction completion anticipated in June of 2023. Um, during this period, permanent boilers were returned to service. The temporary boiler was disconnected and removed from the site. The image shows the siloxane removal system. Um, this is in the foreground. These are three vertical stainless steel tanks which contain beds of activated carbon media, which absorb siloxanes from the digester gas to help with the treatment process. The third project on the right is the Wawona Area Stormwater Improvement Project, construction completion anticipated in March of 24. This quarter, the microtunnel operation was completed. That's almost 1,800 linear feet of pipe being installed by microtunneling um, from a jacking pit at 20th and Vicente through to the receiving pit at 14th and Vicente. The image here shows that uh, the removal of that microtunneling machine um, from the receival, receiving shaft after it has done all its work and served its purpose. That's an exciting milestone for this project to have done all of that major tunneling work. Our usual pie charts uh, for the program show status. The 7B projects in phase one, representing $3.655 billion. Last quarter closing at 49%, this quarter 52. So worth pausing and acknowledging for a moment, celebrating that we're crossing the halfway mark on this first major wave of, of projects within the sewer system program. The blue area at the top shows seven projects in the pre-construction, that's planning, design, and bid and award. This time the Geary BRT uh, Bus Rapid Transit Sewer Improvements Phase 2 project advanced from planning through design. In green, we now have 12 projects in construction. There were 17 last quarter because five of those advanced into the closeout phase. So the gray to the left shows that. We now have 51 projects in the closeout and complete, making steady progress. Cost summary table, uh, this is table three from the quarterly report, um, showing the summary cost for all of SSIP, rolling up both phase one and the other projects, those are projects that we initiated after phase one. Column summarizing expenditures and the budget and forecast cost with the variance at the right-hand column. The cost variance is in red, total $925 million. They're effectively the same as we reported last quarter, with a very small exception of 0.1 million, which is actually a decrease on the right due to a cost reduction on the Yosemite Green Infrastructure Project. So trending in the right direction, albeit a small decrease. For the facilities and infrastructure uh, program, the variance of $12.95 million over the budget, but this has decreased by a quarter of a million since last quarter, which is also good. The last column on the right, trending in the right direction. Um, it's actually due to a combination of a small number of project increases, but one larger decrease of $1 million on the Collection Division Consolidation Project, the Griffith Yard Project. 
A few milestone highlights along the way. Uh, this quarter, we initiated pump station security updates. These are a number of updates at major pump stations like the Griffith Street pump station and the Channel pump station, as well as a few others. Um, in the second bullet, we completed the conceptual engineering report. This is a milestone because it marks the end of the planning phase. Um, that's for the primary treatment at the southeast plant, health and safety improvements. And the third bullet on the right, we achieved 95% design in the large sewer condition assessment and improvement subproject. That's more commonly known as the channel force main intertie, helping give us some redundancy on the lower portion of that critical asset, the channel force main. The image is actually the North Shore pump station uh, weather improvement project. I'm forecasting to complete that in May of 23. In this image, you can see the contractors installing new bar screens. So we'll pivot now to more current updates on the three major Southeast area projects. For biosolids, as usual, reporting that first, um, we did acknowledge this significant cost increase back in January at the beginning of the year. No change, uh, again, at this point, um, and also captured in the, the capital planning and budgeting process, so again, no change. Um, the soil excavation, dewatering, shoring, and installation of piles is complete. If you remember, we've been reporting the number of piles that are continually being installed on that large site um, over the last year plus. Um, so that's now done, which is really good. Uh, construction of the digester vessels are actually underway, um, beginning with the concrete placement of the mat foundation. And now in the image, you can see those tanks rising above ground. The bid procurement for this CMGC contract for remaining construction work is, of course, ongoing, letting out those packages through the end of this year and into 2023. For the new Headworks facility project at Southeast Plant, um, again, the same forecasted project budget and schedule that we showed last quarter, no change. Um, continued civil and structural work in the various um, areas. Um, there are now 604 of 649 drilled piers complete, so we're getting very close. Um, we've moved into electrical, fire protection, um, heating, ventilation, air conditioning work, mechanical installations. Now the buildings are up, we're putting that electrical and mechanical equipment in. So we continue to procure that equipment and fabricate it so it's ready for installation. And then as we get closer to completing this project, now is the time to start thinking about how we tie in this asset into the rest of the plant and getting ready to start up and commission and hand it over. Lastly, the Southeast Community Centre at 1550 Evans. Again, no change to the project budget forecast that we showed at the last meeting, last quarter. Uh, pleased to report the installation of Mildred Howard's African metal sculpture called Promissory Notes, as you can see in this image right in the centre taking center stage in front of the new facility. This piece of art takes its inspiration from West African currency, traditionally worn as jewelry to signify the wearer's success. Project construction is at 98% complete, so we're very close. Permanent power was received in April. If you recall, there were some delays and some concerns working with PG&E, but that's now all being resolved. Um, and back in May, with the commission, we approved an additional budget increase to help contingency for these last remaining items and due to some of that delay. So no further changes needed at this time. That completes the end of the presentation, making steady progress. Uh, happy to take any questions. Thank you. Commissioner Maxwell. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Great job. Um, really appreciate it. I was wondering... Um, where in all of this could we, if we were going to do uh, a project, say, dealing with the algae plumes, is it at the digester phase? Is it at what part of the biosolids? I mean, we're spending all this money, $10 billion, 
and we're not quite finished. And whenever we need to do something and add a little bit here, we add a little bit there. So what, where could we, if we were going to do um, a, a demonstration project just to see? I mean, I think it's big enough, the problem that we are having. Um, you know, our, our mission is to do no harm with the environment and obviously we're failing at that. So where could, could we fit something like that in? Uh, thank you, Commissioner Maxwell. Yes, very topical at the moment. Um, real concerns in the Bay around. May, may I just say, I think it's been very topical for a long time. It's just that it's come e even to the surface. Even more so at the moment, yes. Because people are swimming in it. Yes. But it's been a problem for a long time, and we've known about the problem for a long time. Yes, yes. Um, a lot of science and research uh, for all agencies around the Bay Area and how we respond to potential algae blooms in the Bay. Um, and yes, even more so topical at the moment, it has been around for a long time. Um, as to where we put this in our process, I think both financially and physically where it goes within the treatment process, the biosolids is absolutely at the back end of the treatment process dealing with the solid part of the waste. Um, the concerns are about how we discharge our effluent into the bay and what nutrients remain in it that can help feed and cause so that some of the algae bloom. So that, that's the wet side of the treatment process um, as we separate the solid from the liquid and it is the wet effluent that goes into the bay through our outfall um, underneath Pier 80 in the southeast area, but also the same for our um, southwest ocean outfall into the ocean. But those are two very different receiving water bodies. And in this case, the bay is of concern. Um, so it would be looking at how we interface a additional treatment processes in our wet side of the liquid of how we handle that. So there, there's obviously physical space constraints of where we do that. There's the chemistry and science of what it is exactly we're trying to work with. Um, and then also there's the financial constraint of how we do it and working with the regulators and public and community when and how we do something like that. So all I can say at the moment is there's absolutely a team who continues to look at this and taking even more of a look at it at the moment um, to consider how and when and we will work with our other partners around the Bay Area because it's a collective team effort to look after the quality of water in the Bay. Yeah, I, I probably will ask for something a little bit later. Um, but I. I think, you know, what's the cost of our environment and our public health when people are swimming in it? You know, what's the cost? So I think when we look at cost and we look at space, we probably, you know, I, I, I mean, I think it's a big enough situation that will only get worse. And, and you mentioned just the bay, but it's also happening in the ocean on the other yes. side. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's both. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Commissioner Jami. Question on the cost um, slide that you had: um, Are those like uh, cumulative over time? The ones that are, you know, the red ones that are, you know, has we have gone over budget versus um, ones that has finished on budget, or are those cumulative or over the past? For example, yeah, I, I wasn't hundred percent sure. Sure. If, if maybe if we could pop this yeah, slide, perfect. thank you. Very mm -hmm. good. Um, yeah, we changed our reporting format a few cycles ago, if mm -hmm. you recall, to help with some more clarity around this, um, because there are variances that happen over each quarter, and it can get lost when we look at the cumulative over time. So on this chart uh, table, we try and show what the cost variance is since the last time we've gone through our budgeting process and baselined the whole program. So those are the larger numbers, the second column from the right. But then to draw attention to it and to highlight where there's been a trend or a change or a shift since we've last reported, that's why we added the last column on the right. So it is a total of what has, what has uh, the variance that has changed since our last budget process. 
the reason I was asking uh, was, and I, maybe we went through this during the budget process, and um, sorry that I'm asking, I can't remember everything on top of my head, but um, trying to understand uh, how much of it is related to uh, change cost, you know, inflation that we are dealing with and the cost of service, that the cost of construction that has gone up, and how much of it is related to other things. So I was wondering if, at least for our own um, knowledge, it would be good to know, like, uh, but, uh, you know, how this is changing over time. Yeah. Thanks, Commissioner Jami. We, um, you, you've asked on a few occasions before about a way to track and see the trend of how right. things are evolving over time. So I think that's part of this exercise that we're looking at. Okay. Um, uh, we reported, I remember, on biosolids as one of the larger projects when we uh, unearthed a larger variance in what we had budgeted. And we did a deep dive and looked at the changing conditions, both on the site or unknown conditions, or the market conditions that drive the change. Um, and we tried to explain at least what we understood at that time, what some of that was. And then later in the program, we did a similar exercise across a number of those larger projects and came up with similar kind of themes and understanding. So I think seeing trends like this um, and also then looking across water and wastewater and power, what we do in our infrastructure sector, we will be looking at those and seeing how that fits in. What, what element of that is market conditions driving it? Or is there something more deeper beyond that of which perhaps is more within our control? Okay, thank you. I'm hoping that that... Um I know that we were trying to put together that data set. So I'm hoping that's happening. Yes. Okay. Thank yes. you. Okay. Thank you. Other comments or questions? Seeing none, public comment, please. I kind of have one more. I'm sorry. Really Commissioner good. Maxwell. Thank you. This is an article in the Chronicle, and it seems that San Jose have found, thank you, some uh, way that they are putting in less, they, they have more affluent than we do, but they're putting in less nitrogen. And they said something about using um, current the infrastructure. They were able to use some of the mm -hmm. infrastructure that they already have. And so I was wondering, maybe you know there might be a different way of looking at it, so that we can maybe we could do something. I mean, you guys are so creative, and you come up with you know ways to do things. And so anyway. Yes, it's the scientists and engineers, the brain power behind that, looking at the science and chemistry and treatment processes, the process engineering part of it. Every plant is different. Every water supply source is different. Every discharge location is different. Discharging at the southern end of the bay in very shallow conditions with less tidal flushing action is very different from what we have. Um, but yes, there may be parts of that plant have a different ability if tweaked or adjusted in some way can help cope with those nutrients better than our southeast plant, for example, but that's for the team now to kind of look hard at and evaluate all the options as we would do when we look at any new piece of infrastructure, any new project that we need to put in to protect water quality. I'm sure you do, and, and there's no doubt in my mind, but I, I just think that this is a critical time right now. And yeah, you can study it and look and do this, but while we're doing that, you know, the cost of human health and animal health and the planet, you know, is, is something that's real. Yes. And so it's something that while we're doing things, we need to look at how we can make something happen. Yes, agreed, absolutely. Yeah. Commissioner Paulson. Thank you. Um, so I want to make it, this commissioner wants to make a comment that I know that when we got the uh, 
you know, the shock, so to speak, that there was going to be a bid that came in that was much more than what was budgeted um, in at the Southeast a while ago, um, you know, we raised that flag. And I've been very impressed because this is an ongoing question on, on infrastructure and, and construction, you know, from the beginning of time. It's like, you know, what, what do you want to do? What's it going to cost? And then, you know, what, are, what is really happening? So the field conditions and the, and the, um, and the, and, and, the, and the different technologies and the inflation and the costs and the time factor on the calendar. I, I was uh, very uh, impressed at that time by the way your, you and your team took on that particular issue that has been reflected now for various months in here. It's exactly, you know, what has to be done when the public wants to know why was there a, a spike or, or why was there, you know, a decrease, whatever, whatever it may be. So um, this commissioner is very... Uh, pleased with the way you took on what was at that time, you know, a shock. I think we all said, "What the hell?" And uh, and I, it's that's exactly the way I think that an agency should be looking at stuff. So I want to thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Tommy. Just wanted to um, reemphasize um, what Commissioner Maxwell said. I just finished. I wanted to mention um, algal blooms, and now you. Um, didn't want to again repeat what she said last time, so I decided to not bring that up. But I would say I think the San Jose's case is actually interesting just because exactly for what you said, but also in the in the southern end of the um, bay, there have been a lot of efforts around um, putting uh, horizontal levees and trying to manage some of the effluent through that. I know San Jose doesn't have it, but there's another one. Um, um, further north. So, uh, you know, obviously it really depends how much land we have and how much capacity do we have to put these things on and what needs to be happening. But I think I agree with Commissioner Maxwell that if we, if there are things that we can do that can actually, from an agency perspective, from protect us from failing in the future and ending up at the, you know, on the, um, uh, you know, uh, wrong side of the issue, if, um, things go bad, um, we should actually, now that we have time, and um, you address that right now and deal with it. So I, would, I just want to reemphasize that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anything else? Seeing none, public comment, please. Member, members of the public wish to make three, two minutes of remote public comment on item 7D. Please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do we have any members of the public present who wish to provide comment on item 7D? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do you have any callers with your hands raised? Madam Secretary, there are no callers wishing to be recognized at this time. Thank you. Public comment and 7D is closed. Items, excuse me. Item 70 is a report on the Memorandum of Understanding advancing a term sheet for the voluntary agreements to update and implement the Bay Delta Water Quality Control Plan. Um, commissioners, uh, I don't have much uh, to report here other than um, you have been um, obviously very much aware of uh, the ongoing dialogue that we have had um, with the state along with our partners from TID and MID. Uh, and at this point, you know, there have been a series of discussions um, that you have been made aware of. Uh, those negotiations have continued and over the course of um, the last several weeks, um, 
we feel like we have made a great deal of progress with uh, the state, but we have yet to receive from the state a, um, a, 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 a document that can uh, memorialize exactly where we are um, in, uh, in the process. Our, my hope had been, and I think the hope of our team had been that um, by the time we um, uh, arrived here today that we would have a document memorializing what, um, where things were, but for a variety of reasons, I believe the state has not um, yet come forth with a document um, that we could, that can memorialize exactly where we are in the conversation. I'm anticipating that that's something that will happen shortly. That's the assurances that I think that um, uh, uh, TID, MID, us have received, but as we sit here today, I don't have that. Um, so that is where we're at. Um, but I'm hopeful that that's something that will be rectified shortly. Thank you. Any questions or comments? Steve, anything that you'd like to add to that? Okay, public comment, please. Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item 7E, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do you have any members of the public present to provide comment on this item? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do you have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there is one caller in the queue. Hello, Carl. Caller, I've opened your line. You have two minutes. Thank you. This is Peter Treckmeyer from the Tuolumne River Trust. You might recall when the VAs first popped up that the argument was that it could prevent delays and encourage immediate action to restore the Bay Delta and the Tuolumne River and other rivers. Uh, we first started meeting with the SFPUC and Irrigation District eight years ago to talk about a voluntary agreement. And then the more official one started about five years ago. And here we are. We didn't save any time. It's caused delays of implementation of the Bay Delta plan, which you know, might be the SFPUC's intention. I can't say. But you'll recall that the National Marine Fisheries Service commissioned a peer review, which was scathing. And we asked the SFPUC to comment, do its own peer review, respond to the peer review. We never got that. The science does not support these voluntary agreements. Uh, it's likely that it's an attempt by the governor to stall things until after the election and try not to anger anyone too much, not to have the irrigation districts give up on him and not to have the environmentalists give up on him. We have given up. So a couple of years ago, Bosca gave a presentation to their board that was based on information provided by the SFPUC. It was full of misinformation. We responded with a 15-page letter explaining all the problems and explaining the truth. Bosca could not respond to it and instead forwarded it to SFPUC staff to respond. We never got a response. So if the, the, the whole idea here is to prevent the Bay Delta plan, you're successful. If it's to restore the Tuolumne Bay Delta, the voluntary agreement is not the path to go. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Madam Secretary, an additional caller has joined the queue. Hello, caller, your line is open. You have two minutes. Hello and good afternoon, commissioners. My name is Molly Colton. I'm speaking on behalf of Sierra Club California, 
and are more than 500,000 members and supporters statewide. It was announced last week that the SFPC and the Modesto and Turlock Irrigation Districts have re-entered into negotiations with the state over a voluntary agreement, or VA, for the Tuolumne River. In light of this announcement, I wanted to raise some inherent and significant concerns with the VA process and framework. VAs are unenforceable and non-binding agreements that fail to protect endangered species and lack consideration for affected communities and ecosystems. Voluntary agreements are made behind closed doors with state officials and water suppliers without opportunities for public input and neglect to include voices and input of California native tribes, environmental groups, fishing groups, and other affected communities. The VAs are not a substitute to science-based flow standards such as those that would be implemented in the State Water Board's Bay Delta Water Quality Control Plan update. VAs are not effective measures to develop and or implement water quality, flow standards, or habitat requirements. I urge the SFPC to stay away and drop participation in any and all VA process and agreements. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Madam Secretary, there are no more callers in the queue. Thank you. Public comment on item 7E is closed. Oh, uh, Commissioner Ajami. Um, one, one quick comment here, I think, um, on this matter, um, Mr. Harris. Um, I wonder, like, I guess whatever agreement we have in place, if it's a regulatory process or it's a voluntary agreement, it needs to have um, good enough stop gaps, um, um, sort of monitoring process in place that we make sure it is reaching the goal and objectives we are putting in there. And I think that would make us as a city and as a utility to be comfortable with whatever goes in place, and I think that that would also help our constituents feel comfortable with whatever we end up um, agreeing on. So as you're having these conversations, I think the emphasis on, you know, what kind of um, uh, monitoring systems are going to go in place, what kind of stop gap measures we have, how are we going to uh, check the quality of this agreement, and if it's reaching the objectives and goals that it has, what kind of performance we are expecting. I think those are going to be super important and key. Um, so um, just wanted to raise that issue. Uh, thank you, Commissioner Jami. I think there's um, universal agreement with that sentiment, both uh, uh, from uh, our team as well as the state and others. So I, I, I fully agree with uh, your sentiments. Okay, thank you. Any other comments or questions? Okay. Mr. Hera. That concludes my report. Thank you. Uh, next item, please. Item 8 is new commission business. Commissioners, any? Oh, uh, Commissioner Maxwell. Thank you. Um, I mentioned that I'm going to... Sorry, Commissioner, can you... Thank you. Um, I, I wanted to have 
maybe an update and a re or a report or status of some of the um, solutions that you're looking for as far as the algae plumes. You mentioned that you all, you had scientists and all these people working on it. So I would like to see um, or some, a report about what they're working on, not what you found necessarily, but just some of the issues that you're going to be working on. You're going to be going in front of the Board of Supervisors soon, and I think we need to, I'd like to know, um, you know, as well as I'm sure they want to know, and I think it's important that we at least have something on the books that we're thinking about, working on, um, and, and looking forward to seeing. So I'm think, I mean, I don't want this to go on forever. October, um, you don't have to have something, you know, in concrete, but just what we have, what you're thinking about, what you're thinking about in terms of what you can use, something that at least is making some, some effort going toward that in that direction. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner. Any other new business for the Commission? Uh, public comment, please. Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item eight, new Commission business, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do we have any members of the public present who wish to provide comment on item eight? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do we have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there are no callers in the queue. Thank you. Public comment on item eight is closed. Okay, thank you. Next item, please. Next item is item nine, your consent calendar. Commissioners, any items that you would like removed from the consent calendar? Seeing none, public comment, please. Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item 9C, consent calendar, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do we have any members of the public present who wish to provide comment on the consent calendar? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do we have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there are two callers in the queue. Thank you. Callers, this is on item nine. Caller, I've opened your line. You have uh, great, David Hill. Sorry, didn't mean to speak over the moderator. Uh, David Philpel, um, on the consent calendar, uh, just a couple of uh, quick comments on items 9E, F, and G. Item 9E and F um, have maps and photos for those calendar items, and I appreciate that very much. 9E, page 4, 9F, page 3 have maps and photos where Appropriate 9G, uh, however, a uh, incredibly minor league uh, facilities easement deed on Natoma Street in relation to the 5M project does not have a map or photo. So it appears to me that um, items coming out of infrastructure now have maps and photos as a routine thing, which is fantastic, but perhaps that hasn't yet been extended to real estate items, and that's probably something that could happen. Um, again, where appropriate. And I thank the staff for going to the trouble of uh, adding that page with maps and photos where appropriate. Thanks again for listening. Thank you for your comments. Next caller, I've opened your line. You have two minutes. Thank you. This is Peter Dreckmeyer again, Tuolumne River Trust. Um, comment on 9C. This is a contract related to studies uh, that will influence an in-stream flow management plan for O'Shaughnessy Dam. 
And I wanted to say that we have been involved in the Upper Tuolumne River Ecosystem Program since its inception, and it's been a very good process. Um, Bill Sears on your staff and others up there in the upper watershed have done a really good job. And uh, the science has been good, very different than what's going on in the lower Tuolumne. And so I want to acknowledge that um, when the SFPUC is operating in the absence of the irrigation districts, we get better science. My concern is that you're looking at um, increasing the duration of this contract by four years. Now, this issue goes back to the 1980s, at the time when the SFPUC requested permission to add a turbine to the Kirkwood powerhouse, um, which was allowed conditional on a study of the biological resources below Hetch Hetchy and possibly a change in the flow regime. Fish and Wildlife Service completed a draft study in 1992. The SFPUC challenged it and everything went dormant until my predecessor found a paper trail in the early 2000s and we followed up with the SFPUC and SFPUC agreed to launch into this process. Um, we were told, and I quote from a letter in 2008, the SFPUC and U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service agreed to make best efforts to complete the adaptive management plan by December 2009. Here we are 13 years later. So I hope you can see why I'm so frustrated with a lot of action by the SFPUC. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Madam Secretary, there are no more callers in the queue. Thank you. Public comment on item nine is closed. Okay, thank you. Uh, commissioners? Um, you poked a different screen. Um, <laughs> may I have a motion and a second? I'll move. Second. Moved and seconded. Roll call, please. President Moran? Aye. Vice President Jeremy? Aye. Commissioner Maxwell? Aye. Commissioner Paulson? Aye. Four ayes. Okay, the consent calendar is adopted. Next item, please. Item 10, authorize the general manager to take the following actions for COVID-19 relief. Extend for, extend for a fourth time through June 30, 2023. One, the temporary suspension of the discontinuation or shutoff of water service for residential retail customers for non-payment of water and or sewer bills. Two, the temporary suspension of discontinuation or shutoff of power service for residential Hetch Hetchy Power customers in San Francisco for non-payment of power bills. And three, the temporary suspension of the return of delinquent residential clean power SF customers to PG&E generation service for failure to, pay, failure to pay clean power SF charges and grant discretion to the general manager to approve collections and leads to multifamily account holders with unpaid bills exceeding 25,000, which are 90 days or more past due. Thank you very much. Uh, good afternoon, commissioners. If I could have the slides, please. Thank you. Uh, my name is Michael Perlstein. I'm a special projects manager with external affairs, um, and I'm here today seeking approval for a resolution to extend the moratorium on shutoffs and liens for residential customers until uh, next July 1st, 2023. 
Um, I would like to start by recognizing that affordability and access work at the PUC is a genuinely cross-agency effort um, with staff participating at all levels from intern up through director and assistant general manager. Um, so I wanted to start by thanking all my colleagues in the teams you see um, presented here and others for working really hard to make sure the PUC is um, supporting our lowest income and most vulnerable customers as best as we can. As you'll all recall, um, the SFPC has not disconnected or leaned property for non-payment of bills since the start of the COVID emergency period. Um, having said that, we did resume those collections processes for commercial water and wastewater customers this past July 1st, and those processes will resume for power commercial customers this fall. While all of that is resuming, this resolution would extend the moratorium for residential water, wastewater, Hetch Hetchy Power, and Clean Power SF customers through next June. Um, and it would also allow the general manager discretion to resume those collections processes for multifamily residential customers carrying $25,000 um, in past due bills or more that are 90 days or more past due. There are only about 10 accounts that fall into that category, but they account for 40% of the residential arrearages outstanding. Um, there are a few reasons for this extension. Um, first and foremost, that there are opportunities for out to take advantage of outside funding to help our customers receive some arrearage relief. Um, another round of funding has been approved for power arrears through the California Arrearage Payment Program, and we expect to receive that money at the end of um, this coming winter, and it will come with the requirement that customers receiving relief not be disconnected from service for 90 days after that. In addition, the brand new low income household water assistance program just was just launched in August. And so we want to give customers time to apply for that program and take advantage of the funding there. So given the opportunities to take advantage of outside funding, we don't want to be disconnecting customers or leaning property before we have the opportunity to connect them with those assistance programs. Um, additionally, the extension will allow enough time for staff to develop and implement programs and strategies to help customers who will continue to have arrears after any outside relief is applied, um, and also enough time to communicate with customers in a really effective way and engage with them to get them enrolled in those supportive programs as the end of the moratorium approaches. Um, I'd like to give a brief, brief overview of the scale of the residential water and wastewater arrearages, uh, excluding that bucket of multifamily customers for which the general manager could resume collections before next July 1st. Um, that bucket of multifamily cu customers accounts for about $4.3 million in outstanding arrears, and so the remainder of residential arrears is about $6.3 million. Um, if that number were to continue to grow over the next nine months as it, at the same pace it has throughout the pandemic period, um, it would grow by about $4.5 million for a total of just under $11 million next July. Um, and although it may continue to grow in that intervening time, we will be implementing new strategies, as I mentioned, um, and importantly, the outside funding sources will offset some of that growth as well. Um, for example, the low-income household water assistance program I mentioned has allocated just over $2 million in federal funds to San Francisco accounts, um, and more funding was just allocated in the California state budget that will become available once the federal money has been used. So we're going to take an active role in connecting customers to that program to make sure that they and we are taking full advantage of the assistance on offer. Um, before the moratorium expires, we will return here to this commission um, with a series of proposals for your consideration to further help our low income and vulnerable customers. Those proposals will fall into three areas of assistance in arrearage management. 
Um, the first is helping our customers with arrears to um, avoid the worst outcomes of those outstanding bills, which are shutoffs and liens, and that will involve addressing already accrued arrears. Uh, the second area is slowing future arrearage growth by helping customers to keep up with their bills moving forward. And the third area is ensuring that we are working and engaging with customers in an effective way to connect them to support and collect on past and future bills. Finally, here's a very simple timeline of the proposed extension. Um, the intervening nine months between now and the proposed end date will be used to develop the um, strategies uh, in the areas I was just discussing. Um, yeah, it's pretty straightforward. That is the end of the presentation and happy to take any questions. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Any questions or comments for Mr. Perlstein? Seeing none, thank you. Public comment, please. Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item 10, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do you have any members of the public present who wish to provide comment on item 10? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do we have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, I see one caller in the queue. Hello, caller, you've got two minutes for comment. Great, David Philpel again. So uh, three items here um, in connection with uh, this action. I hope the commission staff will eventually return to regular hours of eight to five, Monday through Friday for in-person customer service activities. I believe that's still restricted to 10 to two, um, which makes it more difficult for customers to pay or have other in-person interaction with customer service. Um, I don't know what the plan is and what the timeline is for restoring the full hours. Um, secondly, it would be great if there was a way to get a receipt um, online for making online payments. That's the main reason I still come in to pay in person is that we have not found a way to generate um, a receipt online for payments made uh, online. It's just like, trust us. So, trying to find a way to resolve that. Perhaps that's something that the new customer service manager um, could work on with um, her staff. And finally, on the Rezo itself, there were two minor things that I noticed that I think you could probably fix on page three of the resolution. The second resolved clause, the big paragraph there, that this commission hereby extends through June 30th, 2023. I would strike the word of so we'll just read through June 30th, 2023, the temporary suspension, et cetera, which is consistent with the prior paragraph. And on the following page, the certification line is missing a word. I would uh, have it read, I hereby certify that the foregoing insert resolution was adopted by the Public Utilities Commission. I think those are two non-substantive changes that you can just ask for on the fly. That's all on this item. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your comments. Madam Secretary, there are no more callers in the queue. Thank you. Public comment on item 10 is closed. Thank you. Any additional comments or questions? Seeing none, a motion and a second, please. Moved. Second. second. Moved and seconded. Roll call. President Moran? Aye. Vice President Jami? Commissioner Maxwell? Aye. Commissioner Paulson? Aye. You have four ayes. And item 10 passes. Next item, please. Item 11, public hearing on the 2022 Public Health Goal Report for the San Francisco Water System to address any public comments received 
and direct the Water Quality Division Director to submit a letter to the State Water Resources Control Board documenting that such a hearing has been held. Good afternoon, Commissioners. Andrew Grasso, Water Quality Division Director. If you have the slides, please. So we're here for the 2022-2020 PhD or Public Health Goal Report. This is our ninth version of this, so we've done this going back to 1998. The California Health and Safety Code requires us to do this triennial evaluation. Uh, we have to provide a brief report in plain language, and we submitted that report to you in June. We have to compare the last three years of compliance monitoring data with the public health goals. If there's not a California version, we have to use the federal version, which is a maximum contaminant level goal. We have to identify the risks, the best available technology, which is treatment and estimated cost uh, to deal with that. And the PhDs and MCLGs are ideal levels. Um, those are set just thinking about public health. For example, cancer is a one in a million lifetime SS risk. So if you had a million people over lifetimes, you theoretically have one more cancer because of that particular level. We compare the regulatory levels in our annual consumer comps report that we send out to everybody. So if people wanted to see the comparison about the regulatory levels, which is the maximum contaminant levels, that would be the report to look at. We also use aqua guidance. Uh, and we do that because there is no state guidance on to do this report. So aqua, which is a professional association, developed some guidance. Basically, it says look at the contaminants where there is a MCL, the regulatory limit or a treatment technique, and to compare that against the public health goal, uh, to use the compliance data at the entry points, and that is at the treatment plants, so what's coming out of the treatment plants, except for coliform bacteria and lead. And we look at those in the distribution system. Uh, we use the same compliance determination, so if we're averaging for compliance, we average when we look at the PHGs. We exclude contaminants where there is no public health goal or uh, MCL. And when the results are less than the state's detection of the reporting level, that's considered to be zero. So this is a diagram that looks at MCLs and PHGs. So for example, MCL could be set at 100. We have an operating target where we want to be below that, comfortably below. So for DBPs, disinfection byproducts would be 80%. For most of the contaminants, it's 40% or lower. So we want to have a nice safety cushion between where we're operating and the regulatory limit. And then the PHGs, MCLGs, in a lot of cases, are set at zero. They're ideal levels. You don't want any. So the good news is that none of our contaminants exceeded the regulatory limits. Uh, we had three contaminants which exceeded the PHG or MCLG levels. Uh, the first is bromate, and that is measured outside of the treatment plants. Uh, the highest level was two, but most of the time we're down at one-ish, and that's the running annual average. Lead, uh, which is measured at customer taps, um, that is the 90th percentile, seven. Uh, I'll mention later the action level is 15, and the final one is coliform. Uh, that's a monthly, and we have sample sites, uh, sample boxes on the sidewalks throughout the city, so we collect samples from those sample boxes for that determination. Uh, bromate, the MCL standard is 10. The public health goal is 0.1. Uh, we get that because uh, bromide, which is naturally in the water, reacts with ozone. We have one of our treatment plants that has ozone, and it forms that. Uh, it's a disinfection byproduct. Um, it is also strangely permitted um, as a food additive. So even though we're trying to control it, you just never know with some of these contaminants where they can be used in other places. Um, the best available technology, again, is optimizing ozone treatment. And our best practice also includes trying to protect the watershed so we don't want any more erosion where soil could release bromate into the water, uh, as well as we're doing monthly monitoring. 
The next one is coliform bacteria. Um, the MCL uh, was changed in the middle of the cycle, so no longer we're gonna have coliform as a monitoring requirement, so the next report you won't hear anything about coliforms, hopefully no E. coli. Uh, the MCLG ideally is zero, um, but that's not practical. No water is sterile, you're never gonna get zero. So it's a goal, uh, we're never gonna quite get there, but we're pretty good. Uh, again, no E. coli detections, it's naturally in the environment, uh, you're gonna find it. Uh, there is no particular best available technology for it because again, you're never gonna get zero. But we do provide a healthy disinfectant. We do protect our distribution system. We do flushing, reservoir cleaning. Uh, we also do stuff like putting pipes, caps on pipes. So we noticed that there were some problems when we were doing initial pipe installation and disinfection. And so we saw some rats and whatnot. So uh, years ago, we decided that we better put caps on our pipes when they're sitting in our storage yards to prevent that particular problem. Uh, the next one is lead. Um, again, this is an action level, so there is no definitive health level. So you're provided treatment so that you make sure that when you look at a sample set, that you're 90th percentile. So if you had 100 of them, it's the 90th highest one uh, from the top is below 15. Uh, our latest monitoring was done in August of 2021. Uh, we do not detect lead in our distribution system. Lead basically comes from uh, the service lines from the main as well as customer plumbing. Uh, we believe that the customer plumbing is by far the biggest contribution of where lead is coming from. There's a lot of health effects, cancer, neurobehavioral, reduction in IQ, hypertension, kidney diseases. So lead is basically bad. Um, we just don't want it in there. Uh, we basically optimize our corrosion control treatment, um, and we also have a historical program of trying to get lead out of our system, which I'll mention. So our optimized corrosion control is pH adjustment. We're required to have pH 8.2 or higher. Uh, we typically operate around nine, so we're well above that minimum. Uh, our treatment strategy was evaluated by experts and approved by the state regulatory agency, so that's been in place since 2006. Uh, we also want to have this corrosion control besides lead, but any metals or inside our system to prevent it from dissolving. We have a comprehensive lead sampling program. Um, we've basically been in a reduced trennial monitoring since 2004. We had a uh, very first monitoring above the action level, but since then we've been comfortably below that. We have a, a proud history of removing lead from our system. The PUC in the city has been very active. Um, in the 1980s, we removed about 7,000 lead service lines, so those are lines with fully lead way before any regulations were considered. We continued or discontinued using uh, lead meter joints in 1983. Uh, we began replacing curb stops with lead-free versions in 2003, and we started a lead-free meter replacement program in 2008, and we're almost done with that. We've been very active dealing with the public uh, and dealing with education. Uh, we started working with the school districts in 1980 to do some sort of monitoring. Uh, we created a lead test for fee to provide a program for our customers because it was not easy for them to find laboratories. Uh, we started at $25 per sample and it stayed the same price. So we've kept that at a nominal charge for our customers. Uh, we've been working with education in terms of bill inserts and we have a lot of stuff on our website uh, that's multilingual so we're trying to make sure that we can reach all of our customers we work with the health department the childhood led program as well as uh, the women infant children so we provided free testing for those programs uh, we've also um, worked to provide uh, lead free fixtures for schools and daycare centers and that was around 2000. Um, we've also done it with the general public where we've asked for a nominal charge so the the faucets were like $10 we were charging, they were 100 plus dollars. So we wanted to make sure that it was affordable for people if they wanted to have a lead-free faucet. We've been active with the uh, schools. We did a big monitoring program between 2017 and 19, uh, trying to get to all the schools. We didn't get all of them, but we got to most of them. 
Uh, there's also a requirement for all of the daycare facilities to do lead monitoring every five years. And so we're working with the Unified School District to do monitoring for them, and we hope to get that done and completed by the end of this year. Uh, we're also trying to work with them to come up with a recurring monitoring program for the schools uh, so that every five years we get to all the schools and look at their, their fixtures. There's also a requirement for the state for us to look at what they call lead user service lines. So we need to identify any pipes that have any sort of lead in them. Uh, we did an initial inventory in July of 2018. Um, out of about 176,000 services, there was about 11,000 unknowns and about 5,200 uh, potential uh, galvanized lines. And the concern about galvanized lines is that galvanized pipes is a very rigid material. And so it was fairly common to have a two to three foot piece of lead that would connect the big main in the street to the kind of stiff pipeline in the street. And so that's our concern is to try to get those out of the system. And we have an ongoing program to do that. Uh, we finalized our lead user surface line replacement plan in June of 2020. There is estimated about less than 1,600. We think it'll be lower than that. We've continued our uh, monitoring uh, inspections of the service line. So uh, we think it should be lower. We also, under the federal lead and copper rule revisions, have to look at the customer side. Um, so before with the state, we just had to look at what was on our side. And so we've done about 6,500. Uh, the good news is that none of those are leads. And talking to our plumbers, we don't expect that we're going to find any lead on the customer sides. Uh, but the galvanizing is important because under the federal rules, if there ever was lead upstream on our side, then it's called a galvanized requirement replacement. And then those have to be replaced. Right now, the utilities are not responsible for that. It's on the customers. But until there's some sort of funding gets done, you know, that's still an issue. So that's something that the commission may weigh in sometime in the future in terms of what is appropriate or not related to that. Uh, so basically, we'll continue to do our control and monitoring programs. Uh, we have a bunch of lead-reducing activities. Um, we'll complete our service line inventory. Uh, the replacement program is up and running. And we have a contract out there to help CDD uh, do some of the excavation work. And once that's in place, hopefully in the next six months or so, we'll speed up replacements. Um, we'll continue replacing the, the meters. And we'll continue working with the, the school districts. So that's my presentation. Thank you. Commissioner Jami. Thank you for that presentation. I, I have a few questions. One is um, uh, those programs that you mentioned on um, people sending samples and you guys are testing it, is, is, are those ongoing? All those are ongoing? Okay. Or is it, uh, have any of them have been sort of? Uh, uh, no, none of the monitoring programs have stopped. So the okay, left fee continues. Okay. Uh, we envision that the school monitoring is going to expand okay. significantly, so that's big. The partnership with the public health department is ongoing. I actually had a conversation with them this morning and talked about the WIC program, and you know we don't have a lot of uh, involvement there. And so they acknowledged that their posters were probably not as good as they should be, and so one of the projects they're going to take on is taking a look at those posters at the WIC centers and try to do something that is better uh, for those particular customers. And then uh, from the federal money that's going to come down on uh, replacing lead lines, I can't remember exactly, but can you remind me, can that money be used for behind meter replacement as well, or is it mostly that's focused on That's what we're hoping. Um, okay. It's in its infancy, and we spent a lot of time working with right. them, and so we're keeping our fingers crossed that that would be a pot of money. That, that would be possible. Yeah. Okay. And then if that ends up being the money that people can use behind meter, um, do we have a sense of who are going to be the people we're going to re outreach to and make sure they get they can do this? We have to complete our inventory, identify all of those services by October of 2024. Um, so hopefully it's not a big number. Um, okay. 
but given the fact that we had 7,000 or more lead service lines, that's kind of the big unknown. And so we'll have sure. to figure out how big or small that population is. <laughs> One of the slides I presented indicated there was about 9% galvanized on the customer side. So a worst case scenario might be, say there were 7,000 and we use that, say 10%. So there might be 700 of those still remaining uh, that are out there. Uh, we would do an outreach program. You know, one of the things um, that's important and is clearly specified is looking at disadvantaged communities, and so that's part of our focus in terms of looking at what's going on. So um, we'll have to come back and figure out what exactly, how big a problem is it. We assume we can take care of it with our own resources, but obviously if it's something more significant, we'd have to come back to the commission. And, and then, so for, from the people who send you samples to get tested, do we have Perry people's addresses? And are, do we have a map yes. of who is asking for this? I'm just wondering if, if there are like places that people are, don't even know or they're not using the service or they would like to use. Um, you know, it's a good question. We put it in our consumer conference report, so we put it out there. We get about four or 500 um, requests every year. Um, okay. You know, I haven't looked at the data set for a while, but it seems to be pretty broad around the city. Um, so I don't think there's any place that's not covered. Uh, but again, it doesn't hurt for us to advertise and put the message out there that right. we're, we're open, willing, and there to help. Yeah, so like mapping would be very helpful too. I, I know, I know uh, I've seen a few times uh, Mr. Ricci has presented on, or in some of the reports that we have seen, uh, we have some maps on the lead lines and how, how much have been replaced or not. But I'm just, on the individual basis, it will be really valuable to be able to see where are they concentrated. We, we do have a map on our website that talks about the service lines, right, the information we have lines, right now, exactly. but not the lead data. Not the lead. And then if these um, behind meter lead lines needs to be replaced, how invasive that is, like how easy... You know, when you're disturbing, uh, I guess, private property, that's very interesting. There's going to be a lot of communication right. with the people there. That may cause a delay. So if we have, say, 700 and, say, half of them don't want us to disturb their, their yards, we're somehow involved. We would be involved in terms of encouraging them but not necessarily doing the work. So, again, it's going to be an interesting push over, I'm anticipating decades to get all these people to... Right. to voluntarily basically uh, replace their service lines. Unless there's some sort of new regulation, you know, we always talk about would there be some sort of property transfer, you know, if all of a sudden there's right. kind of a right. slow uptake in this stuff, would there be some other tool for us to use to try to get to that endpoint that we all want to get to? Okay. And then uh, just last question on the, um, on the uh, samples that you get from people. Um, I wonder if that there was an uptake when uh, the Flint, Michigan thing happened and sort of more people started. Because I personally have see this often, people coming to me and like, I didn't even know we have this program. So now I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to let everybody know. But um, I, I think there was, I don't have the data, but I think that you know the public was aware. And so there was increased attention to desire to do some of this testing. And I, I do recall people were yeah, in some cases, very concerned, and they wanted everything in their house. So they wanted bathtubs and everything. And bathtubs right. are not necessarily floatable <laughs> standards. So we would warn them that you know this is really not a good right. thing to be testing. But right. some were very interested. Sure. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Commissioner Paulson. Um, slide fourteen. It had to do with piping and materials. Just a quick revisit. Can I have the slides, please? Yeah, and I guess it was under plastic when when there was a total of nine and and 0.1 percent what what did that cover again 
And, and where, where is that located? Uh, that's just the surface line material from our meter into the building. So the vast majority is copper, some galvanized, and there was a few plastic uh, pipe out there. From our meters into a? Into the property, into the building. So is that, um, is this like a trend to put more plastic in as opposed to copper? Um, actually, I would say that's pretty good in terms of, again, my personal feeling is I like, you know, copper. <laughs> if I had to choose, that's to me the best. And so I'm surprised it hasn't been higher than that. And hopefully it'll stay low. Uh, you know, there's always some concern about plastic. If there's organics, the PC used to have plastic service lines. And it became a problem because people would dump the oil and other stuff inside their meter boxes and that would leach into the pipe um, and cause problems. So it would degrade the pipe and it would have organics go into people's taps. But, so. but this is stuff that we install? No, this is on the, 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 the private side, side of the meter. Yeah, okay, got it, thanks. Okay, thank you. Commissioner Maxwell. Yes, I wanted to know your timetable. Uh, I wanted to know your timetable for um, the schools. The, uh, you mentioned that I think it was from, um, what, 2017, 2019, that you weren't finished with those schools and that you're working on the um, other schools. So what's your, what's your timeline for finishing all the schools? We finished all the schools that were willing to work with us, and so we're gonna start another round, and we'll go back to all those schools, the ones that tested as well as the ones that didn't test, uh, because you know there's a big population of unified school districts, and there's a lot of private ones, and I know uh, the biggest private is our Diocese of San Francisco, and so there's kind of a there there. There's kind of a building's ground there's somebody to work with. With a lot of the other ones, they're kind of just individual. Some of them are very small, and so it's very difficult. They're busy doing other things, and you know, even though we're willing to offer some help, you know, they just got other things. That but not the public more. schools. Oh, not definitely the public schools. I think you know we were we worked very closely with the Unified School yeah. District, so, so you know we did almost all of them. You know, I can't say for sure that. There was some not out there. We learned that schools open and close, so you assume that they're all just open all the time, but they get taken out. There's repairs, other things go on. So yeah. that list changes all so the time. So do you have a goal in mind? Like, would you like to be finished with this by 2023? And uh, or You know, we need to ramp up. We're so busy now with the lead and copper rule, just kind of doing the service line inventories. Uh -huh. And so it's kind of a resource limitation. We're talking to the unified schools right now, trying to get that started. They said focus on the childcare centers because there's a regulatory requirement for them to do the childcare centers. So we're working with them on that. Uh, but we want to, um, again, once they're ready for us to ramp up that program again. So with the childcare centers, do you have a time for that since a lot of them are? Uh, for the unified school districts, we hope to get it all done by the end of this year, you okay, know, as long great. as they're available. Otherwise, it'll drift a little bit into 2023. Yeah. Okay, that's good. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Paulson. Follow up on Commissioner Maxwell. Um, I know that you know, the public schools, you know, have all different kinds of and lots of um, infrastructure going on, whether or not it's gutting a school and redoing it or um, just doing general, you know, upgrades and whatever. Do you coordinate with them when all of a sudden funding to fix a particular school is done and that's the time you swoop in to do the final other stuff or is this no we've, we've kind of with that we let them do their thing we do the the monitoring for them we let them know where there may be an issue and then they have to take whatever actions they deem appropriate whether it's shutting off the fixture or putting in a new fixture but it's really up to them and their buildings and grounds people to figure out what to do with the information that we provide for to them because there are subcontractors that go into buildings and you know do all the work whether mm -hmm. or not it's bathrooms or 
you know, electrical stuff or, or whatever else it is. So that's not coordinated with that type of infrastructure. That's no, and, and the good news is that the state changed the requirements of what was lead free in 2010. So basically after 2010, all the stuff was lead free. So if they're doing any remodeling, okay. they should be taking out the bad stuff and putting in good stuff. Got it, okay, thank you. Commissioner Rajami. I guess it's sort of like a follow on to that. I was wondering about people when they do remodeling and all that, uh, do they, um, are, are they required to replace all their pipes or? No, I mean, what goes on yeah. the other side of the meter really. We um, don't know. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. So it's kind of like it's another opportunity to kind of see how we can make sure that if people are having, if they're remodeling to kind of consider. I mean, I understand they're not, they're, nobody's selling those lead pipes, but the making sure everything is replaced is going to be key. It, it depends. Um, you know, there is lead solder was common, you know, before 86. And so if you have a home with copper pipe and lead solder. Sometimes it's old fixtures, and that's relatively easy. You replace your kitchen faucet with something that's newer, you know, that may solve the problem. So um, really you kind of have to figure out what you have and then what the right and appropriate steps to correct that is. Right. And we, we are right now not involved to inform the customers to kind of consider that vendor. Because... Uh, when they're remodeling or anything? No. Um, we said, I mean, if there was any group that might do DBI, you know, where they do the, the plumbing permits and whatnot, mm -hmm. that would be probably the most logical place because that's where the customer interaction sure. is, where the plans are being done. Um, we can certainly share that with people, certainly if they have a high lead level. You know, we do you know, you go back to them and tell mm -hmm. them stuff that they may want to consider. Sure. Um, but it's more of an add-on, not necessarily what we typically do. Yeah, I'm probably going too far into the weeds, but you mentioned DBI. Um, th there's no official coordination with DBI. That's just like when they go in and make sure everything's okay, mm -hmm. that's their stuff. That's not our stuff. That's right. Other than what you've already described, correct? Yeah, we, we interact with DBI, you know, quite a bit, but, you know, that's their responsibility is looking at the, the plumbing stuff and if they were to suggest to people or anything, but, you know, we don't deal with uh, building code. Okay, great. Thank you. Okay, any other comments or questions? Seeing none, thank you. Uh, public comment, please. Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item number 11, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do you have any members of the public present who wish to provide comment? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do we have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there is one caller in the queue. Hello, caller, I've opened your line. You have two minutes. Commission, I want you to pay attention to what I'm saying and to the flowery language of the gentleman who made a presentation. He doesn't know what he's talking about. In the Bayview Hunters Point, we have doctors now doing biomonitoring. I'm going to ask the doctors to provide the two gentlemen who hate the SFPUC so that they get the results of their work from the blood and the urine, biomonitoring. Now I'm going to go to the community benefit. We fought for the community benefit so that our children, our infants, our children, our youth, young adults, our elders, those with compromised health could get help. No, the community benefits were controlled by two crooks, Dwayne Jones, and Julia Dallas. 
PayPal outsiders got $300,000 grants while our infants were dying. So it's true that the city will not take responsibility for lead pipes in the homes. So are we going to say, oh, let those people die? Or are we going to say, let's see how we can uplift them? SFTUC has no moral compass. And you commissioners cannot think outside the box. Shame on this guy who gave this presentation. They're going to show him. They're going to send him the data, the bio-monitoring data. We're going to show him. I'm shamed of y'all. I'm shamed of y'all. I'm the director of the Environmental Justice Advocacy. And of, of one of the commissioners who lives in the district and she doesn't know deeply. Thank you for your comments. Madam Secretary, there are no more callers in the queue. Okay. Any public comment on item 11 is closed. Any further co comments or questions? Seeing none, a motion and a second, please. I'll move. Second. Moved and seconded. Roll call. President Moran? Aye. Vice President Ajami? Aye. Commissioner Maxwell? Aye. Commissioner Paulson? Aye. You have four ayes. And item 11 passes. Next item, please. Next item is item 12, adopt a declaration of surplus property and exempt surplus property pursuant to the Charter and California Surplus Lands Act, recommended to the Board of Supervisors the sale of approximately 17,832 square feet of unimproved land in, in fee and approximately 17,733 square feet of easement areas located in the city of Fremont and in unincorporated areas of Alameda County and authorize a general manager to execute upon approval from the Board of Supervisors and Mayor an agreement for sale of real estate, temporary construction easement, and utility easement. Thank you, Mr. Bardo. Good afternoon, Commissioners. Tony Bardo, PUC Real Estate. Uh, the city through the PUC owns unimproved agricultural land along State Route 84, which is also known as Niles Canyon Road in the city of Fremont, designated as parcel 57 and in the unincorporated town of Sonol designated as SFPUC parcel number 65. Both of these parcels are in Alameda County. Uh, the California Department of Transportation or Caltrans uh, proposes to construct safety improvements at spot locations along uh, Niles Canyon Road and Paloma Way. Um, this project is one of several Caltrans projects in the area that's focused on upgrading Niles Canyon Road to expressway standards. The first was last year's I-680 widening project at the, at the State Route 84 interchange approved by this body and the Board of Supervisors last year. Then the Alameda Creek Bridge replacement project also on Niles Canyon Road that was brought before this commission for approval in July. And now the safety improvement project. Um, as a component of this project, Caltrans uh, seeks to acquire 18,000 square feet, roughly, of city's real property in fee, approximately 16,000 square feet in temporary construction uh, easement area, and roughly 1,600 um, electric utility easement for Pacific Gas and Electric to accommodate the relocation of certain facilities that were displaced by this project. 
<clears throat> Caltrans made a government code offer for this real property at the price fair market value price of 11970 The city's director of property approved this appraisal. Um, in closing, staff asked this commission to adopt findings declaring that the property is surplus land and exempt surplus land, determine that a competitive bid process for the conveyance of the property is impractical and not in the best interest of the public, recommend to the Board of Supervisors the approval of the agreement for sale of real estate, temporary construction easement, and electric utility easement, authorize the general manager of the PUC, excuse me, of the PUC to execute the sale agreement upon approval by the Board of Supervisors, and finally, affirm the Planning Department's determination under the California Environmental Quality Act and adopt the findings required by CEQA guidelines previously adopted by Caltrans. Any questions? Thank you. Uh, commissioners, any questions for Mr. Pardo? Seeing none, thank you. Uh, public comment, please. Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item number 12, please press star three to raise your, hands, raise your hand to speak. Do you have any members of the public present to make comment on this item? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do we have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there are no callers wishing to be recognized. Thank you. Public comment on item 12 is closed. Thank you. A motion and a second, please. Move to approve. Second. Moved and seconded. Roll call. President Wren. Aye. Vice President Ajami. Aye. Commissioner Maxwell. Aye. Commissioner Paulson. Aye. And you have four ayes. And item 12 passes. Next item, please. Next item is item 13, approve the terms and conditions of and authorize the general manager to execute a soil fill agreement allowing Google LLC to perform work within an easement granted to the city through the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission within the property acquired by Google and located at 1400 to 1415 Bay Hill Drive in San Bruno, California, in return for a $190,000 payment by Google and approve the terms and conditions of an authorized general manager to execute an easement amendment allowing Google to perform additional work in the easement area. Good afternoon, Commissioners. Rosanna Russell, SFPUC Real Estate Director. I have a presentation prepared, but I realize this is getting to be a long meeting. Would you like the presentation or would you just like to pose questions? You'd like the presentation? Okay. So um, Google owns the former U YouTube property in San Bruno, and the PUC has a 45-foot wide easement with two properties that run through the, uh, two pipelines that run through the property. Um, the pipelines are the San Andreas pipelines number two and three. Google's building out its campus um, on, um, on the property, including two new office buildings, utility crossings, uh, and an outdoor creative space for Google staff. Google seeks to use our easement. Um, it, on our easement, it seeks to improve, uh, install non-permanent improvements, such as ADA railings, low-voltage um, lighting, eucalyptus logs for seating for Google staff. This is not allowed by the easement. So we ask you to ap uh, approve an easement amendment to allow these amenities for Google. Um, more importantly, Google seeks to add several feet of fill to our right-of-way, our easement. Um, the soils fill agreement would allow Google to do so 
Um, raising the ground means that the PUC also um, will make it a little more difficult to access its pipelines in the future because open cut excavation will no longer be allowed. Um, to compensate the PUC for having to install shoring to access its pipelines in the future, Google has agreed to pay the estimated cost of the shoring installations over the life of the pipelines now. This amount was calculated with our water supply and treatment division engineers, not real estate staff. Um, the alternative would be to establish an escrow account, but that's administratively burdensome for both parties. So um, we both agreed that the upfront payment is more efficient. Um, there are several PUC pipeline appurtenances that also needed to be raised with this addition of fill. Um, two air relief valves and a manhole. Google has already done this work, or its contractors done this work. So um, based upon everything in the agenda, we respectfully request commission approval um, for the general manager to execute the soils fill agreement in exchange for the payment of $190,000 from Google and to um, allow the director of real property to execute the easement amendment. I'm available for any questions. Thank you. Commissioner Maxwell. Yes, is the 190 uh, in addition to the, the cost for shoring up? Yes. I, I believe it represents the cost of shoring over the life of the pipelines. The, the 190. Yes. Hmm. And why why um, do we have to have this easement? I mean, you mentioned why do we need that to it do wasn't this? allowed, and now they want us to do it. Why wasn't it allowed? Why was not allowed? I'm sorry, I'm not uh, tracking. Well, in the beginning, I believe you said that. Um, you have to, we have to give this easement because something was not allowed. Oh, the non-permanent improvements. Right. So um, the easement agreement is separate from the soils fill agree agreement. I'm sorry for my lack oh, of clarity. Uh -huh. No. The fine. easement amendment is to allow the utility crossings, the seating, and the um, low voltage lighting. Oh, so why wasn't that allowed before? Because the ancient deed that the PUC acquired did not allow it. We didn't draft the deed. This, we are a successor in interest mm -hmm. to the original purchaser of, of the property, mm -hmm. of the easement. And so you calculated that it's only going to cost 190000 over the lifetime of... Uh, I'm not an engineer. Oh, I, respect, I, I respectfully <laughs> defer to my water supply and treatment colleagues who oh. um, calculated this. this. This discussion went on for several weeks if not months. It was a thoughtful discussion. So mm -hmm. I have great confidence in them that they arrived at an appropriate amount. Okay. You know, you hear Google and you hear 190,000. Right. 000. No, I understand. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Commissioner Paul. I, I want to follow up on that just a little bit more. So in order for Google to, who's purchased the property, to do what the, they want to do, um, you know, they're going to pay us $190,000, which you're not your team, but the team that you're reporting for said $190,000 means we can still continue as the PUC to do whatever the hell we want to do and have access to our pipes. Correct. Even though you, did, you said that there was some difficulty getting to it, so they're paying for us to have our access to the pipes. Um, we can access our pipes. For $190,000 forever, which sounds kind of small because Google wants to do what they want to do with their property. Is that kind of summarizing what it is, and we're not going to be 
other than getting $190,000, we're not going to be um, disadvantaged in any particular way? We, we, the $190,000 represents um, the shoring because we, um, the PUC cannot use the open cut excavation uh, method to access the pipeline. Which is what they normally, what we normally That's what would I, have had yeah, access yes. to. So is, does this make it more difficult for us? It does, um, but the $190,000 compensates the PUC to um, access its pipelines. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not penciling anything out here other than $190,000, and it's worse for us to have access to this stuff. Um, you know, I'm not an expert in this, but it just sounds, I think as Commissioner Maxwell was saying, Google wants something, and they're going to give us a little bit of change to, you know, fix some little things around here and there, but it's still going to be more of an inconvenience for us to have, if we need to, access to those pipes. Um, it just it just sounds, something just sounds goofy. So um, may I point out two things? Our easement um, represents states that we have access to our pipelines. So we have access to our pipelines. It's just one method that is typically used by the engineers is not available. Secondly, we have an easement. We're not a real property owner, so we can't just say, no, you can't do this. Um, you, we have to, when, we, when the PUC holds pipelines and easements, it's really a negotiation. Um, we as staff work our best to, um, to protect the access and use of the pipelines by PUC staff. I will say that the, that the water supply treatment, uh, the right-of-way staff, and my staff, we are fierce advocates for protecting access to the pipelines. I, um, again, I'm not, this is not advocacy. All I can say is that over this sum resulted from a multi-week negotiation between Google project managers, PUC project managers, with the very able assistance of our city attorney's office. Okay, well, I'm going to follow up on that. What if we said no, um, we're, we, we, this is just going to be a pain in the butt to us. I don't know what, what gets us to the table. I don't quite get that leverage. But, you know, what if we said no? What would happen? Well, I would hate to speculate in, in open session. Um, I would not want right. to be, be the PUC to be at risk legally. Got it. Yeah, I understand that part. It just sounds like, well, maybe we'll... Thank you. Commissioner Rajami. On the same line of questions, <laughs> um, I, I, I wonder if tomorrow we have a, a broken pipe or something. Um, let's not even think it's Google. I'm, I, I honestly don't care who is on the other side. I wonder how much would it cost for us to fix that problem? Like today, if today this happens, um, what would be the cost of fixing, fixing that, right? And I'm not saying they, obviously they're not paying for fixing this right. for their lifetime, but I'm just thinking this lack of access or, or more limited access, is that increasing the cost of the process by a significant amount or not? And if that significant amount adds up to $190,000, and I'm not, what I'm trying to get at is, 30 years from now, when Google 
it's not Google anymore. Probably somebody else is uh, the giant of all the uh, future ideas. And they don't have a lot of uh, resources available to them to do what they're doing. Um, or maybe they always suck. I, I'm, not, I'm just speculating this, right? I want to make sure if something happens to this pipeline, we are not on the hook to deal with some, like, Unintended consequences. Unintended consequences that we did not anticipate today, right? So let's not think about today or tomorrow. Let's think about like 30 years from now, 40 years from now. And how does this um, sort of um, process is going to play out um, if things are not going to look as it looks right now? Right. So we have a cooperation agreement, and I've suggested to our city attorney um, that perhaps it should be recorded because so then it runs with the land. As to the, your cost questions, this is not in my purview, but we have the top water engineer from um, Water Supply and Treatment. Good afternoon, commissioners. Uh, Angela Chung, division manager for Water Supply and Treatment. Uh, let me see if I can help answer this question. Um, normally, when somebody wants to add two to four feet of fill over your pipeline, and you realize that you're gonna incur a bit more cost over the life of the pipeline to get access to the pipelines. You would actually put this requirement into the easement amendment itself, but the future staff would then have to administer this clause when the cost is actually incurred to go after whoever the property owner is to get the cost. Our staff actually did a conservative estimate of just over the life of these two pipelines. How many times will we need to do shoring in order to get access to the pipeline? They did a conservative estimate. They pushed 200,000 across to Google and it ended up with 190. I think we did a good job in negotiating the outcome. But this is so that conservatively, if we need to access the pipe, pipelines 20 times over the useful life of the pipelines, now most of the time, even when we inspect the pipeline, we don't need to go, we don't need to do shoring and dig up dirt. We, we access through manhole vaults. We inspect the pipeline that way. So it is a conservative estimate. We thought the staff did a good job. Go ahead. Yeah, Commissioner uh, Maxwell. So can you explain to us what shoring means? What do you mean by shoring? Okay. Shoring is, um, so, the pipelines, the two pipelines, one is five feet in diameter, one is four and a half feet in diameter. Right now, the, before Google added gray, it was about three to four feet below gray. So just under 10 feet, we would basically come in open cut to get to the pipeline. Once it goes more than 10 feet deep, we bring in these shoring boxes, have, have a crane drop the shoring boxes in and then pull the soil out. This is so that the workers are protected inside the excavation. I hope that answers the yeah, engineering part of the question. Sure, yes. Okay. <laughs> okay, Commissioner Jami. Um, my question for you is, um, you mentioned um, for the sort of design life of these pipelines. So what if they last longer than their design life. A lot of our infrastructure is lasting longer than they are expected. Um, how would that play out in this scenario? So we, we don't typically excavate in every stretch of the pipeline frequently. 
In fact, it is fairly infrequent. Our staff did put a fairly conservative estimate on this. I believe it was 20 times each. So it was a fairly conservative estimate. Okay, so you think that would cover all the inflation, change in price, changes, change in um, cost of service, all these things you think that has been incorporated in this. Again, I, I just want to, you know, I, for all of us, I think we, I want to make sure we are thinking about 30 years from now. Not right now, 30 years from now, somebody else would not sit here. And, you know, when I was on the regional board, we dealt with a lot of decisions that were made 30 years before, mm -hmm. and we were just like, you're like, we wonder why those decisions were made, right? So just making sure we are protecting us, the city, the public, from potential cost of this, and the fact that, again, we don't know, whoever the party is, Google or anybody else, we don't know that at that time where they would be in their sort of um, life of their business and how easy would that be, or they might have sold the land and we don't know. Um, one, one other question I have for you is, would this stress out the pipes just because we are adding more soil? Are we sort of uh, uh, the activities that are ex uh, planning for that area? Would that potentially impact the, um, the uh, infrastructure in any ways? The design of these pipelines are conservative enough to accommodate the additional fill on top of the pipelines. Okay, and they're uh, not, not to going to build anything on it, obviously. They're, that's protected, right? Right. Then the easement amendment only allows them to do so much. Okay. Um, on the question of future costs versus present costs, our calculations are based on today's dollars because the check that we're getting is in present value as well. So it's equal. It's equal in value. Okay. So you mean that you guys calculated future cost and then you brought it back to today's cost and you're, no? No, we're doing present worth cost because the dollars that are coming in are also today's dollars. The, the check that's made for 190,000 is today's dollars. Okay. But I, I will say this, uh, over the repair, you had asked a question before, if we have a pipe leak, pipe break, right. the bulk of the cost is not the shoring. There's a fair amount of cost that goes into repairing a pipeline. The only thing we consider is the difference of the additional fill that we calculated for Google to reimburse us up front. We actually really pushed for this. It was staff that pushed for this because oftentimes when it's embedded in an agreement, somebody has to know that it's embedded in the agreement and then there's administration costs later on and the time and the burden. So we were actually happy that Google was receptive to negotiating this up front. And they own the land? They own the land. Okay. Okay, thank you. Any other questions? Say, uh, Mr. Ritchie. Yeah, I, I was just going to add two points. One, to, uh, to clarify, the $190,000 is now. We get the money now, so that's why we're not calculating future costs, because that money is making sure. money for us, yeah. theoretically. Secondly, at the end of 50 years, if there is no need to access that, you know, that pot of money in particular, it's ours. And the 50-year agreement is done, and then we have to be into a new agreement. So uh, the money doesn't, we keep the money. Right. 
So those, those are two points. I just want to make sure it was clear. This is that this. money is attached to that project, and then if the 50-year goes After by 50 years, and if happens, we never have to touch the pipe in that timeline, we're $190,000 better off. Right. A, but then at 50 years, when it expires, we have to go look and see where we are then. Okay, thank you. Uh, public comment, please. Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item 13, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do we have any members of the public present to provide comment on this item? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do we have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there are two users in the queue, two callers in the queue. Thank you. Hello, caller, your line is open. You have two minutes. Great, David Pilpel. I think this is my last time today. Um, so on this one, it's a, a bit complicated, good questions. I think staff got it right uh, here all the way around. Um, there are two minor uh, fixes that I suggested earlier in conversation with uh, Ms. Russell, which I believe was uh, communicated. And let me uh, find that, hold on. What, I'll come back to that. Um, I think Google should cover all staff costs involved here, not just the estimated 190,000 uh, for the uh, difference between the current surface access and the different access that would be required for the life of the uh, pipelines underneath. That's estimated to be 190,000, but. There's additional staff costs that have gone into all of this negotiation and estimation and real estate and the city attorney and blah, blah, blah. I would figure out what that bill is and uh, send another bill to Google for all of that because, frankly, Google, you know, I mean, this is not a problem for Google right now, I think. Bottom line is this goes back to the 1928 deed between Mills Estate Incorporated, which I guess was the subdivider at the time, and Spring Valley Water Company. So we're all successors in interest to the original 1928 deed, and the actions that Google seems to be contemplating um, here exceed what they were allowed to do um, under the, the 1928 deed, which is what uh, requires this uh, amendment, soil fill agreement, uh, et cetera. Anyway, um, I can't find the two minor fixes. I'm sure staff has that there. You can talk about that. Thank you for listening. Uh, I, as I said, I won't be able to participate in two weeks because of the Jewish holiday, but thank you all very much. And thanks again to Commissioner Moran for um, all his work over the years. Thanks again for listening. Thank you for your comments. Next caller, I've opened your line, two minutes. On this topic uh, about this pipeline, uh, any way you look at it, SFPUC is more interested in the money. But I'll give you another example where you have made a big boo-boo. The first main by Isler's Creek. Three conduits were dug under the post main, compromising the post main years ago. One of you sitting in the, on the commission knows about this situation. To repair that post main, it will cost you $600,000 now, 1160. 
You'll have you uh, use the force main with some band-aid uh, means. Uh, 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 Half-treated switch, secondary affluence, licked into the Mohamalone Park that was there, compromising it. Uh, Y'all didn't pay, pay anything, even though it's a sport property, but no compensation whatsoever. But, you know, it's funny how, how you folks are, you know. And uh, going back to the community benefits, when it comes to our infants, our children dying, you don't give a damn. You really give a damn about money, negotiating with Google, some pies, material stuff. What about human beings? No empathy, no compassion, no nothing. Thank you for your comments. Madam Secretary, there are no more callers in the queue. Thank you, public comment on item 13 is closed. Thank you, any further comments or questions? Seeing none, uh, motion a second, please. Motion to approve. Move to approve. I'll second. Moved and seconded, roll call please. President Moran. Aye. Vice President Jummy. Aye. Commissioner Maxwell. Aye. Commissioner Paulson. Aye. You have four ayes. And item three passes. Thank you. Next Thank item, you. please. Thank you, commissioners. Next item is item number 14. Approve amendment number six to con contract number CS879C, extending the contract duration by four years and two months for a total contract duration of 19 years and two months with no change to the contract amount and authorize the general manager to ex execute amendment number six. Good afternoon, commissioners. My name is Tracy Kale, project manager for the Regional Groundwater Storage and Recovery Project. In 2007, um, please um, show my presentation, please. Great, thank you. Um, in 2007, this commission awarded contract number CS879C, Engineering Project Design Services, to Kennedy Jenks Consultants to provide engineering design services for a total contract amount of $9 million and a duration of seven years to complete the engineering design for several water system improvement projects, including the Harry Tracy Water Treatment Plant long-term improvements, the Regional Groundwater Storage and Recovery Project, and the San Francisco Groundwater Supply Project. Since 2007, there have been five amendments. These amendments were required to support emerging changes in scope for design services for the three original projects and other projects under the Water System Improvement Program. Next slide, please. Mr. Tracy, you have to do that yourself. Thank you, Steve. Um, the current proposed amendment, number six, is needed to support design services and engineering support during construction for two remaining projects that are currently in construction, 
which are the regional and local groundwater projects. The map that shows on the screen is the site map for the regional groundwater storage and recovery, which provides dry year water supply through the coordinated use of regional water supplies and groundwater pumped by SFPUC, Daly City, San Bruno, and Calwater. The 13 regional wells in the project are located in Daly City, South San Francisco, Coma, and Millbrae. Major scope, schedule, and budget revisions for the regional groundwater project were necessary since the project's inception as more information became available about the groundwater basin, well construction, and groundwater treatment requirements. Most recently, in April 2022, this commission approved an extension of this project and the WISIP program to a revised completion date of February 2027 in order to complete construction on the final well facility in South San Francisco. Start of construction of this well has been delayed until 2024 due to the long lead times that have been necessary for access, permitting, and utilities coordination. Um, the project, the other project that this contract supports is the San Francisco Groundwater Support Project. This is the map that shows the six wells within the project. This project has constructed uh, six wells uh, with phases one and two. Phase one included construction of four wells and was completed in 2021. The remaining two wells are in phase two, which are still in the final stage of construction. Additional time is required for the contractor to complete punch list items and compile closeout documents. Due to the two projects and extended schedules, additional engineering services are required to support the design, construction, closeout, and operation of the regional and San Francisco groundwater wells. Phase one subproject declared final completion on 9-2-2022 over a week ago. Phase 2A subproject is in the start of construction. The consultant will develop and update maintenance and operations plans and standard operating procedures and provide engineering services during construction. For the phase 2B contract that is planned for um, start construction in 2024, the consultant will provide design and engineering support services throughout the duration of the project, including administrative support for closeout the project. It is critical that the same engineering firm performs this work since they have the historical understanding of the project from planning through construction. <clears throat> this consultant has demonstrated their expertise in groundwater design and support services to address the many emerging challenges this project has experienced. In the item before you, we seek approval of amendment number six to extend the contract duration by four years and two months 
to continue engineering design and engineering services during construction and closeout for both the regional groundwater storage and recovery project, as well as the San Francisco groundwater supply with no change to the contract amount and authorize the general manager to execute the amendment. I'm happy to answer any questions that you may have. Thank you. Uh, Commissioner Maxwell. I just want to thank you for your presentation. It was succinct and well done. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Any other comments or questions? Public comment, please. Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item 14, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do you have any members of the public present to provide comment on this item? Eden, Mr. Moderator, do we have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there is. there are no callers in the queue. No callers. Thank you. Public comment on item 14 is closed. Okay. Any questions or comments? Motion and a second, please. I move. Second. Moved and seconded. Roll call. President Moran? Aye. Vice President Jeremy? Aye. Commissioner Maxwell? Aye. Commissioner Paulson? Aye. You have four ayes. And item 14 passes. Thank you very much. Thank you. Next item, please. Next item is item 15, rescind resolution number 22-0039 and approve the general manager's determination to terminate for the city's convenience professional design services agreement number PRO.0232 new CDD campus at 2000 Marin with Mark Covignaro and Associates. Good afternoon, Commissioners. Shelby Campbell, Project Manager. Uh, slides, please. So um, I'm here today. The item before you is uh, related to the 2000 Marin uh, New CDD Campus, New City Distribution uh, Division Campus at 2000 Marin. So uh, in March of 2021, we advertised for design services for the project. And then we re-advertised in September of 2021. And then I came to you in February of this year to request your award uh, of the design services agreement to Mark Cavanero Associates. So there was a number of issues with the RFP, the first one being the number of responsive proposals. We received four proposals, but only one was deemed responsive, and that was due to errors made in the um, the uh, overhead and profit schedule uh, worksheets. And um, then after the award of the agreement, um, it came to our attention that there was a conflict of interest with one of the lead subconsultants. They were a principal of the firm of the subconsultant. They were also a commissioner on the Civic Design Review Committee um, and opined on the project when we took the project to Civic Design Review. So. The um, cumulative impact of those issues led to our determination that it would be best to re-advertise the RFP to address the complications with the overhead and profit schedule so that that is not a hindrance to responsiveness for future proposals and to conduct a robust outreach um, to increase the number of proposals. So, whoops. So we're asking, we're requesting your approval to rescind uh, resolution number 220039 for award of design services and to terminate designs, the design services agreement with Cabanero Associates. 
Thank you. Uh, questions for Ms. Campbell? Seeing none, thank you very much. Uh, public comment, please. Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item 15, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do the members of the public present to provide comment on this item? See none, Mr. Moderator, do we have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there are no callers wishing to be recognized. Thank you, public comment on item 15 is closed. Okay, thank you, any further discussion? Uh, motion and a second, please. Moves to approve. Awesome. Moved and seconded. Roll call. President Wren? Aye. Vice President Jummy? Aye. Commissioner Maxwell? Aye. Commissioner Paulson? Aye. You have four ayes. Thank you. Item 15 passes. Next item, please. Next item is item number 16 approve the plans and specifications. An award contract number WW543 in the amount of $12,947,014 and with a duration of 990 consecutive calendar days to the responsible bidders that submitted the lowest responsive bid, Cal State Constructors Incorporated. This action constitutes the approval action for the project for the purposes of the California Environmental Quality Act pursuant to sections 31.04H of the San Francisco Administrative Code. The Planning Department has determined that this action is exempt from CEQA. If the item is approved, the Commission will rely on that determination to make its decision. Uh, good afternoon, Commissioners. Uh, Daniel Rado, Project Manager with the SFPUC. Um, to not reiterate what Don had just read, uh, presenting the item for award, it's a pretty standard uh, contract construction award for the Southeast plant. Um, this project is part of the uh, treatment facilities renewal and replacement program, uh, which often includes uh, standard replacement of uh, items within the plant at the end of their useful life. Uh, that helps to facilitate uh, safety repairs for staff, uh, process areas, and the like. Um, so typical scope of work included for this project includes uh, uh, replacement of air handling units, air supply units, fans, uh, roof repair, a lot of standard things that will extend the useful life of the south Southeast plant for the next uh, 15 to 20 years. Um, if you have any comments or questions, I'm here to, to answer them. Thanks. Thank you. Commissioners, any questions? Seeing none, public comment, please. Members of the public who wish to make two minutes of remote public comment on item number 16, please press star three to raise your hand to speak. Do you have any members of the public present to provide comment on this item? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do you have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there are no callers in the queue. Thank you. Public comment on item 16 is closed. Thank you. Additional comments? Motion and a second, please. I'll move. Moved and seconded. Roll call. President Moran? Aye. Vice President Ajami? Aye. Commissioner Maxwell? Aye. Commissioner Paulson? Aye. You have four ayes. And item 16 passes. Uh, next item, please. Um, next item is public comment on matters to be addressed during closed session. And I will read closed session items. Item 19, conference with legal counsel regarding the existing litigation, John LaSalle versus City and County of San Francisco et al., San Francisco Superior Court number CGC-21-589-176, date filed January 21st, 2021, proposed settlement of a personal injury claim in the amount of 489000 action to approve a settlement subject to final approval by the Board of Supervisors. And item 20, conference with legal counsel, counsel regarding existing litigation on Jeanette Hudson and City 
and County of San Francisco, San Francisco Public Utilities Commission, EEO complaint of discrimination, government claim number 22-00905, date filed December 22nd, 2021, proposed settlement of an EEO complaint of discrimination, claim in the amount of 275,000. Action to approve the settlement is subject to final approval by the Board of Supervisors. Do we have any members of the public present who wish to provide comment on the closed session items 19 and 20? Seeing none, Mr. Moderator, do we have any callers with their hands raised? Madam Secretary, there are no callers wishing to be recognized. Thank you. Public comment on closed session is closed. Thank you, Commissioners. Could I have a motion on whether to assert attorney-client privilege? Move to assert. Second. Moved and seconded to assert. Uh, roll call. President Moran. Aye. Vice President Jami? Aye. Commissioner Maxwell? Aye. Commissioner Paulson? Aye. You have four ayes. The item passes. We'll now go into closed session. TV, San Francisco Government Television.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
session, the Commission recommended settlement of items 19 and 20. May I have a motion regarding whether to disclose discussions that took place during closed session? Move to not disclose. disclose. <laughs> Moved and seconded to not disclose. Roll call, please. President Moran? Aye. Vice President Jummy? Aye. Commissioner Maxwell? Aye. Commissioner Paulson? Aye. You have four ayes. And the item passes. There being no other business before this commission. Um, Whoop, hello. <laughs> did you, I'm sorry, did you report? Out. Yes. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. There being no other business, uh, this meeting is adjourned. Okay. Thank, Thank you. you.